0: We'll familiar teenage frenzy as old as your elvis records but this is 1992 and these girls are here to see luke perry you know dylan mckay from beverly hills 90210 but we're not talking one heartthrob we're talking eight eight well-coiffed, well-dressed teen sensations who star in this totally cool TV hit. All the guys on there are really gorgeous, <laughs> and the girls are pretty. Luke, Perry and Jason Fisick, they're so cute. They work together. They work as a team, and they show that they
1: care for each other. What?
0: Yo, West Beverly, my name is Dave, and I'm going to give you all the songs that you crave. And all the babes are going to be my slave. And all from a guy who don't even shave words.
1: Oh. Horrible.
0: You're so precious to me. I would give the world to you. You're so precious to me.
1: Hold it. Hold it, David. Horrible. All right, well, as uh, I... Right. <clears throat> Brenda Dubois would say quel Horror.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Brenda Dubois, we'll talk about her. So anyway, uh
1: welcome here we to are.
0: Thanks. here we are. We're doing uh, if you haven't guessed already, we're doing uh Beverly Hills 90210, the landmark show that uh, spanned the entire decade of the 90s and all of its terribleness. Episode um,
1: 36. It took us 36 episodes to have the stomach to do this one. So
0: Right. Yeah, I don't know uh, which was worse for Jeff, this or the Donna summer. It had to be this, yes, right? I mean, you, you you got you can't diss Donna that much. I mean, this had to be the worst. I was really looking forward to this one, and we'll go into our history because we weirdly have a history with this show. But this was tough. I will yeah. say, I will say <laughs> this was, this was a tough one. I mean, it's it's fun in the sense that the show I learned about what a phenomenon it was because I wasn't aware of how huge This show was even though I watched it yeah at least for part of its run but yeah just watching it though was uh difficult to say the least um almost ended my marriage actually I think (laughs) my wife my wife has sat through three's company and what's (laughs) happening and all the you know and fantasy well actually fantasy island she was kind of halfway into but yeah uh, this was a tough one. She was she would not let me watch it in her presence, so I had to figure out how to watch it without her because she hated it so much. So. Yeah,
1: well, I, yeah. I, you know, look, it's hard to it's hard to blame her. I have to say, but uh, hey, before we go on here, got to do our our setup here. So this is the Cultural Futures Exchange, CFX for short, where we examine different elements, and in this case, of maybe a piece of poo, element of cultural ephemera. Music, movies, sort of TV in this case. Dive into the context and time it came out. What's happened since? Our take on its future valuation of the item, and should you go long or short? Uh, maybe in this case, or, or uh, stay neutral. Uh, if it seems strange. You get the idea. It's not very complicated. So what, before so, we go into you, the yeah.
0: yeah, before we go into the, I want to caution listeners or just give them a you know a caveat here is that. Whether we like the show or not doesn't necessarily mean we're going to go short Um, because part of the evaluation is whether we think it's going to stand the test of time. A lot of things have stood the test of time that are terrible. We Mm -hmm. should just let you know that because I think we've made no bones about the fact that we don't think this is necessarily good, although I will say some good things about it uh, in my evaluation. Uh, But they're going to be far outweighed by the bad things and mostly the good is mixed with the bad almost all the time. But yeah, I should say that just because we don't necessarily like it doesn't mean that our judgment of it will be short. Right. Uh, because a lot of terrible things have stood the test of time, as like we know. Yes. Yeah. At any rate, I guess we go through the basic, uh, you know, if you don't know what 90210 is, we'll we'll kind of go through a brief summary of the show. And the characters, then we'll go into, uh, you know, our personal history and then the zeitgeist history of the show. And then we'll do our evaluations. So the show basically centers around Brandon and Brenda Walsh, who are fraternal twins. And the Walshes, their family, move to Beverly Hills from Minnesota with their parents when their uh, dad, Jim Walsh, gets a promotion. They start high school at West Beverly High School. Uh, and it's funny because the sh- they're in high school for three years. So it's it's supposed to start in their junior year, but they end up just doing that twice because the <laughs> show kind of wasn't sure. Um, so there's actually two uh, series of episodes where they have to take the SATs. Yeah. It's pretty funny. And the SATs figure in the plot a lot, yeah. you know, but it's, it's funny. So they become friends with a few other characters. You know, they finish high school with them and then they all go to the same college, mm-hmm. California University. Uh, uh, with them. And then the show follows, which the which doesn't
1: actually exist by the way, to people who right, right, it 's a fictional
0: university. And I'll be talking about one of my favorite shows that just completely borrowed this this really stupid idea. Um, it's a better show, but we'll, I'll be talking about that in my evaluation, which sh- shocked me how much the show that I love was influenced by this show that I don't love. I just want to um,
1: say for people who aren't familiar, the California has two systems, the university of California system uh, which is the more prestigious one, and then the California—that's Berkeley,
0: right? Berkeley and UCLA are part of that. Yeah, one. And,
1: and many other campuses, right? And then uh, you have uh, the California State Universities, and there's more of them, and those are all throughout California too. So California University actually doesn't exist, uh, and they probably called it that for on purpose. But anyway, uh, Ephemera for those of you who care. Yeah, we we care because you know we're from there. But anyway, go ahead.
0: But just to continue the show uh, without repeating the junior year and senior year at infinitum and having multiple graduations, they actually all go together to California University. Uh, and then they fo- it follows them for a few years after after college for three more years. So the show lasted 10 years. And the show deals with um, the drama and the soap opera between the characters but also with, uh, you know, their very fluid romantic relationships with each other as we'll go into. And then of course, a bunch of teen and tween issues. Um, so as far as the main characters go, the main character of the show is Brandon Walsh. He was on the show for almost the entire run from seasons one through nine. He's played by Jason Priestley. He's one of the twins. He's sort of a golden boy who is the moral center of the show. Um, you know in spite of the fact that later he sleeps with his best friend's girlfriend he gets a gambling addiction you know sleeps with the professor's wife when he's in college i mean the show gets trashier as it goes on mm-hmm. um but in high school you know he's his main role is he you know he's a good student he's a reporter for the high school newspaper the Beverly Blaze and he later <laughs> gets involved in the paper in college and in college politics he becomes president at the college um he also has a has to work part time so this is you know, it's it, the show is set up as these twins are sort of middle class rising up in the world, and all the other kids are rich. So, so actually, Brandon has to get a job, and he gets a job at the Peach Pit, which is run by an old, uh, kind of crusty guy, Nat Busicchio, who's on the show for the whole. 10 years. Um, so the Peach Pit becomes the gang's hangout, and it's kind of this Mel's Diner type place. Um, and he also gets a job during the summer at the beach club as a cabana boy. Uh, other than gambling, he doesn't really get into drugs, at least voluntarily, which I'll discuss during my evaluation. And he's often lecturing the other characters, especially Dylan and Steve, and even his parents on their various shortcomings. So Brandon is sort of the main guy. Then Brenda. Brenda is played by Brenda Walsh. His twin sister is played by Shannon Doherty. She was on the show for only four seasons, and in the history, we'll kind of go into why that was. Um, She doesn't get as much leeway with the parents as Brandon, uh, and she's pissed about it, right? Uh, She has an on-again, off-again relationship with Dylan McKay, and her best friend slash worst enemy is Kelly Taylor, who we'll talk about in a minute. She gets bitchier kind of as the show goes on. Inevitably, this, you know, and, and, and as we'll talk about in the history, this wasn't in, just in front of the camera, if rumors are true, uh, which is why they had plots where, you know, she goes to France and goes back to Minnesota. Uh, and uh, at the end of season four, she supposedly moves to London and is only sometimes referred to uh, again. She mostly isn't spoken of again. She's
1: her sick mother or whatever Suzanne Summers did on Three's Company.
0: Yeah. She's yeah. basically, actually, she gets a, a, a drama. She gets, uh, you know, led into this prestigious drama school because well, of her acting, which we'll talk about is, yes. is crazy. Is crazy. Uh, she loses her virginity on the show and her romance with Dylan is, is one for the ages. You know, it's uh, it's a big deal. <laughs> um, so at any I'm rate, uh, we'll talk. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So next up is Kelly Taylor, Jenny Garth. Um, she was on the show for this entire run season one through 10 by the, I think when Brenda leaves, she's kind of the main female star of the show. She's the rich friend, sometimes enemy of Brenda who has a recovering drug addict, a model mom. She is also David's stepsister for a time. We'll talk about David silver, another character in a minute. You heard him rapping at the beginning of the show. Um, And she Becomes his stepsister when their respective parents, uh, single parents, marry in season two. She has an off a, and on and off and on again relationships with both Dylan and Brandon and almost marries Brandon in season eight. She eventually ends up with Dylan at the end of the series. Uh, she gets raped a few times mm-hmm. and has both an eating disorder at one point and a coke addiction, coke addiction at another.
1: And her mom you also know, is a coke addict too. Her mom's a coke, coke
0: addict. addict. She joins uh-huh. a, a a kind of cult run by a professor at one point. Um, Mm -hmm. She gets into a bunch of relationships with a bunch of bland guys pre and post Dylan and eventually opens a clothing store with Donna Martin, who's another character we'll talk about called Now Wear This to showcase the latter's fashion designs. Uh, Dylan McKay, Luke Perry, was on the show from seasons one through six. He left the series and then came back in uh, seasons nine and 10 as a special guest star. He's kind of the James Dean rebel of the show. He's also rich, but his father is kind of a white collar criminal who is involved with organized crime somehow. He also has some um, bouts of poverty due to this. He has a huge chip on his shoulder, but his brooding only makes him all the dreamier. Of course. He starts out with Brenda, but moves on to Kelly. He gets married at one point, but in a godfather ripoff plot, his young bride is killed by her own mafioso father who's trying to kill Dylan, kind of similar to Al Pacino's wife and the godfather gets blown up. He's a recovering alcoholic, but also gets into heroin at some point, too. Yeah. Uh, you know We'll be talking about him a lot. He's He was a major uh, factor in the show. Yeah. Fortunately, he passed away, and we'll talk about that in the history and in our personal histories a little bit. Uh, okay, Steve Sanders, played by Ian Zeering, not Ian, uh, was another character who was on the show for its entire 10 seasons. He's the rich son of Samantha Sanders, who's probably based on Florence Henderson, as she was once on a, a TV show called The Hartley House, which is kind of like a Brady Bunch-like show. Right, it's um,
1: intimated to be that, basically. Yeah.
0: Right, it's intimated yeah. to be that, and Steve's kind of in her weird shadow and gets some razzing for that and he's also adopted uh, he is a very douchey guy um, he provides a lot of the comic relief of the show but it's funny because he's really terrible uh, in a lot of ways like one of the things he does is he tr- he, tr- he basically gets this kind of nerdy hacker kid to hack into the school computer and he also bribes a janitor to get this master key to the school to change his grades and then he he tries to convince the hacker to take the he take the rap for him. Uh, and eventually he ends up confessing and he's bribing the janitor the whole time. So he's pretty terrible in a lot of ways. He used to date Kelly uh, before the show who started,
1: though. But yes.
0: Yeah. And he still pines over her, but he is never really in the running again. Uh, he has a series of girlfriends, including uh, uh, the lovely Clara Arnold, who I'm a fan of, uh, who is clearly too good for him. Uh, and when I say I'm a fan, it's, you know, not really, but your,
1: your penis <laughs> is a fan.
0: Yeah, He eventually <laughs> starts the Beverly beat with his dad's help and hires Brandon as editor after they graduate. So this whole newspaper idea just keeps getting recycled over and over again. Uh, we'll talk about plot recycling a lot. Uh, OK, Andrea Zuckerman, played by Gabriel Carteris. She was on the show for seasons one five. And I said, Andrea, I meant Andrea as mm-hmm. she corrects everyone. Uh, and she is the suspiciously mature editor of the West Beverly High School Blaze newspaper, but not yet award-winning, but not if she can help it, paper.
1: She moved, I think, uh, uh, after season five to Florida to retire, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> she So she attends West Be- Beverly Hill, Beverly illegally, since she's from the Valley and is about uh, 15 years uh, too old to attend yeah. high school not really but she um so she uses her grandmother's address to establish residency because she's not rich enough to attend the high school and she doesn't live in the area uh she has an unrequited love for brandon and is it a virgin until season four which i guess makes her a 40 year old version uh she gets pregnant with uh, uh a character named jesse vasquez's baby in season five and they both leave the show so she mm-hmm. left the show after that she does come back for um. Donna and uh, uh, David's wedding. um, And I think a couple of other things. Um, So Donna Martin is played by Tori Spelling. And yes, you heard that right. That is show creator uh, Tori Spelling, uh, Aaron Spelling's daughter. And she was on the series for the entire run, seasons one through 10. She's kind of at first a faceless member of Kelly's Mean Girls gang, but gets some personality through an unspecified learning disability which I guess goes along with Tori Spelling's acting disability (laughs) and and a romance with David. Yeah. Uh, It's funny. She's also virginal and chaste and doesn't give up the goods until season seven, which is kind of funny that, you know, Aaron Spelling's daughter is the one who has to be the virgin Mm -hmm. of all the characters who are not chaste, which is every other character on the show. She is a part-time co-DJ with David At both the high school and college uh, radio stations, so they have. They're at their high school. This is how fancy they are. They have a radio station uh, in the school, uh, just like every other normal high school, right? Yeah. And she's an aspiring fashion designer. Uh, She gets.
1: Didn't your high school also have valet parking?
0: Oh yeah, they make a big. The pilot really shows that stuff off, and then they they kind of forget about it except yeah. for the radio station as is, yeah. is there um she she kind of goes through a lot of hardships you know she's cheated on by david and uh this uh, her other boyfriend who's in the later seasons noah hunter who's basically a replacement for uh luke perry he's like a, a di- almost exactly the same kind of character as dylan but with even worse acting um, and she also gets beaten up by a character named Ray Pruitt, who's in mm-hmm. the later singers, who's an aspiring singer, uh, songwriter played by Jamie Walters. It was a real singer songwriter. Um, and she also develops an addiction to painkillers at one point and plastic um, surgery. And then the show's entire finale is, uh, Oh yeah. She gets pl- a lot of plastic surgery. The show's entire finale is her wedding to David silver. So David mm. silver is played by, um, rap master uh grandmaster brian austin green yep all right yeah all right seasons one through ten he was on the show the whole time and he is initially uh paired with another character named uh scott scanlon played by david emerson who's only there for the first two seasons or first season and a half i should say he ends up shooting himself in a very special episode in season yeah. two. Um, and he is kind of, they're kind of nerdy freshmen and and David is originally kind of horny for Kelly, but he eventually gets accepted in the gang. So him and Andrea aren't really part of the crew at first, they kind of get accepted later. Um, and he eventually gets in the gang and somehow skips a grade or two, yeah. uh, to be, um, you know so he can graduate with them, um, go to the same university at the same time. He becomes a DJ to be quite the scholar, so it's not an issue, right? Yeah, he's a genius, of course. Uh he becomes a DJ both in high school um and in college. He's an aspiring musician specializing in R B and rap music. You know, you heard his uh both his kind of baby face imitation and his vanilla ice imitations at the beginning. We'll hear more later too. Don't worry. Uh, He dates Donna for a large part of the show, but cheats on her a bunch of times. He also develops a meth habit in college. So That's David. Now, so those are the main characters of the show, really. Um, Now there are a bunch of minor characters. I'm just going to go through them. These are the characters that ended up in the, in the credits. There are a lot more. Right. Because obviously Kelly needs these boyfriends to come and, you know, uh, Brandon dates a bunch of people. And but they're but they're none of them are really um, they were not featured enough to be in the opening credits of the show. So these are the characters who ended up in the opening credits. Now, I forgot to mention, of course, Cindy Walsh, played by Carol Potter, Jim Walsh, played by James Eckhouse. Those are the Walsh parents. Right. Mm. They're they're sort of on the side. They're really only there for the first five seasons. And then they, you know, have some story where they get a job in Hong Kong. So they're no longer necessary. And they're basically there for, for, uh, you know, to kind of fight with Brenda and to kind of be, uh, persuaded by Brandon that they're wrong. And, you know, Brandon is right. Now there's obviously Nat Busicchio. He's a side character at the beginning of the show, but by like the fifth season, he's in the credits. Um, He's also the only character that another character named Valerie doesn't sleep with. Uh, I think if the show had went on a couple more years, she probably would have uh, had some scheme to sleep with uh, Nat. Mm. He's played by actor Joey Tata, who passed away, unfortunately, in 2020. Uh, Scott Scanlon, I mentioned, played by Doug Emerson. He's in the credits for the first season only, and he's written off and, uh, you know, he shoots himself in the second season accidentally. My favorite Claire Arnold. It wasn't after
1: hearing David Silver's raps.
0: Are you sure? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, he actually gets into, there's this whole plot where he gets, he goes to uh, Oklahoma and comes back super into country music. <laughs> And he actually sneak, you know, he actually takes over for David on the radio show and plays country music. And David is mortified. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so Claire Arnold, uh, is played by Kathleen Robertson. She was on the show for seasons four through seven. She dates Brandon, David, and Steve, Mm -hmm. uh, Valerie Malone, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, who was, uh, in real life dating Brian Austin green at the time she's on seasons five through nine. She, uh, Screws literally everybody on the show, every male character. And she's Kelly's mortal enemy. And she's kind of a replacement for Shannon Doherty on the show. Noah Hunter, Vincent D. Young, seasons eight through 10. He's kind of the replacement for Dylan. Um, Kind of the same exact plot. You know, this rich guy who very at various times is broke, has an alcohol problem, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's Mark Damon Espinosa, who played Jesse Bosquez in season four and five, who is Valerie's husband or not Valerie's husband. Sorry. <laughs> Andrea's uh, boyfriend.
1: And he looks even older her. than her. So he was like literally 60 on the show. Yeah,
0: he looks he looks older. Uh, Ray Pruitt, played by Jamie Walters in seasons five through seven. I'll talk more about him in the eval because he uh, poor Jamie Walters got a really raw deal from the show, uh, kind of ruined his whole career. And interestingly enough, in season eight for about 10 episodes before she was fired for probably being too good of an actress, uh, we had character Carly Reynolds played by a two-time Academy Award winner, Hilary Swank.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, probably the only time you're, you're going to see an Oscar get near the show. an actor. Right. Janet Selsna was played by Lindsay Price. She eventually becomes Steve's, uh, Girlfriend and they have a kid together. Uh, Gina Kincaid played by Vanessa marcil in nine seasons nine and ten. And then Daniel Cosgrove as the world's most boring character, lawyer Matt Durning. They needed a lawyer because they were all getting involved in so many scandals and schemes that they needed a lawyer to bail them out in seasons nine and ten. So that's sort of the um the overview of the show. Now let's go into the personal history. So the way we're going to do this, it's we're each gonna, gonna go into the first few seasons history. Uh, and then we're going to go into season four together because we both watched season four and we're going to kind of discuss why the hell we watched this show and how that happened. Um, now, I the first three seasons, you know, 1990 to 1993, I was not really, I was aware of the show's existence, but I didn't really watch it. Um, I never really saw an episode, but I remember in college And we'll talk about when this show kind of took off, because this show was huge. It was absolutely huge for a few years. It was an absolute phenomenon. As you heard at the beginning, that Good Morning America segment, that segment was from, what, February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1992. And they devoted almost the entire show of Good Morning America to 90210. Mm. That's how big it was. So I remember in college meeting some girl who was sort of watching the show ironically and talking about how great it was, (laughs) Uh, but she was kind of joking, you know, but I remember this was like toward the end of uh, like right at the end, like 1991. So this was right when the show was starting to get popular, but I had, I was teaching English in Japan from 91, late 91 to 1993. So I was not there for when the show really peaked. Um, so I never really watched it before 1993.
1: Yeah, well, my history is really simple. Never watched it. I mean, I'd heard of it, of course, but I don't think I had ever seen an episode. It wasn't really my my bag. Uh, and even, you know, obviously being from L.A., sometimes those there's so many shows that took place in L.A., so it wasn't like, oh, it's my hometown. Certainly, I didn't grow up anywhere near Beverly Hills. I actually grew up near where Andrea was from uh oh yeah in the show so anyway which which in the show was the poor the post side of town which was yeah yeah anyway uh so yeah so yeah
0: 1993 1994 uh in 1993 99 99, well sorry in 1993 um when i got back from japan um me and jeff actually moved up here and we were uh, roommates in, a, in an apartment, and just at the same time, my cousin was going to San Francisco State and li- lived in the dorms. And those were a walking distance from our house, so we would go hang out with him and his roommate Jason. And Jason was a huge fan of this fucking show. And right? right, so right, well, yeah, that would come later. I oh, think okay. his Golden Girls love, but but basically, he was really into the show. And this was before any of us had, I mean, there were obviously VCRs and things, but what he would do is he had a class during this time. So he would ask his roommate, my cousin Greg, to transcribe the events of the show. So Greg would sit there with the a pa- pad and paper. So me and Jeff would go over there and we would watch this with him. We're, how you much remember dope were we,
1: Yeah, kind of. How much pot were we smoking at this point?
0: Well, given that it was, I don't know, because I don't remember how much there was around. You know, this was like when none of us had much money and, you yeah, know, but, but, but why, my why my was cousin this a good was, idea?
1: Like, I don't even remember. I guess we had so little going on at that point that this was something that we did.
0: Dude, I'm going to blow your mind because I remember when I was gone one time, you actually went over there yourself to watch it without me
1: i can't so i'm just
0: like i'm like dude we yeah we watched it and this was the season where they go to college the first year so this was um 93 94 where um claire was on it and you know brenda was still on it and we watched it and yeah we used to go over there and i'm like what the hell but i think we were kind of goofing on it like we were it was kind of like mystery science 3000 was kind of what people sometimes call hate watching or you know, ironically watching. It was the 90s. It was the time of irony, you know. I I remember
1: um, just goofing on it relentlessly when we were watching
0: it, so. Yeah, Yeah. I think that was the idea. It was kind of fun for us. And then, you know, we were kind of isolated down there and something to do, you know, at Park Merced. So, So that's kind of the big year where we watched it all the time. Like, whenever it was on, we'd go over there. So after this, of course, I moved in Uh, Jeff moved away right you went to school and all this Uh, and I moved into a house or a a flat rather with uh, Jason and Greg and um, we went through a series of roommates that were mostly disasters um, mainly settling on a woman named Julie uh, which was very dramatic Uh, I won't go into that but at (laughs) any rate we watched (laughs) the show
1: remember that one story I'm not going to talk about it but that was incredible
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's for another episode. I don't know, (laughs) but it's funny because when I think back, I just remember how just miserable I was during this whole fucking decade until, you know, maybe 1998 when I met my wife, but I, you know, I remember watching the show occasionally. I don't remember uh, it being like appointment television for us, but I remember certain parts. Like I certainly remember, the part where Brandon dates this woman, Susan Keats. And I remember that because it's played by Emma Caulfield, who would later be on the show I'm going to talk about, which is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of my favorite shows. So she was a major character on that show. So I remember going, oh yeah, I remember her from Beverly Hills 90210. Uh, you know, obviously, I remember Claire, Kathleen Richardson, and I remember Tiffany Amber Thiessen. And I remember watching it. And then, of course, I remember the spinoff Melrose Place we would watch. And I dated this woman for a short time for like six months. Who was like the HR person at my company. And that was very painful when we broke up. But I remember watching Melrose place with her. Like we would get together and watch Melrose place with her and her, when her brother visited, he was actually a really funny guy and he was making all these funny comments. And I remember we would kind of watch it and goof on it, but we were still watching it. Yeah. Right. I mean, so it was kind of like really weird. And I remember one time when I would, when I went to my co when my cousin moved out and I went to his place and we all got together, um, to, no, it wasn't when my cousin moved out. It was like he he would later live in this apartment that our friend Greg lived in. And we went to Greg to watch Melrose Place together. And we smoked a lot of weed. And it was like this purple weed from the 90s that was just gnarly. And I totally had a full-on panic attack. And I think it was partly because I was sitting there looking at Melrose Place going, what the fuck am I doing? Maybe part of my brain was just like, why am I watching this garbage? And I can't tell you one character name or anything from Melrose Place. I definitely think Beverly Hills 90210 is more memorable to me than Melrose Place. I barely remember. I remember Heather Locklear was on it and Mm -hmm. Andrew Shue. And, you know, I could picture some of the other actors. I don't even know what their names are, but we watched this less frequently. And of course, uh, you know, I remember Steve having the stupid newspaper and, you know, his kid and all that. So I must have watched episodes into the end of the show. Um, and then, of course, one thing that kind of affected me in a weird way was the death of Luke Perry. It was not because I was a huge Dylan fan. It was because oh, come this on. was, a,
1: let's be honest, it's partly.
0: Well, he is dreamy. He okay. is dreamy. All and right. you know what? He's a rebel. He's a rebel. Right. But um, no
1: poster at this point or? No. Okay. No, no Just poster.
0: Checking. Just um, checking. Yeah. At any rate. So I remember the death of Luke Perry affecting me, but that was just me freaking out over the fact that a a healthy looking 52 year old had a major stroke out of nowhere. And I was like almost that age. So I was like, I was like, oh, my God, he doesn't look that different than me physically. You know, our build is similar. So I don't know. I don't know how many drugs he did back in the day or if he smoked. I mean, he definitely smoked on the show, I think. But yeah. Actually, I don't remember if he smoked on the show, but he Probably. he was a drug addict on the show. But, you know, he seems like he could have been a smoker. But at any rate, you know, you never know when you're in your male in your 50s. It's all kind of a crapshoot, you know, as yeah. you get older. So I freaked out about that. I was I had a little bit of a, a freak out about that. At any rate, that's that's my history with the show.
1: Yeah, my history is 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 about the same as is pre 93, 94. Yeah. Didn't watch it. Never watched Melrose Place. I mean, I knew of it. Um, I you know, I kind of, it was in the kind of the air, the zeitgeist and all that, but I never I don't think I've ever seen an episode. Um, and I didn't watch 90210 um after, although I was aware of some of the, you know, the people on it just because they were popular. I mean, certainly um Tiffany Amber Thiessen and people like that were around and on TV and other things. So I mean I, I was aware of it, but didn't
0: watch it. Right. Yeah, I mean, so as far as the zeitgeist of this show. I'm going to say this show was a really, one of the things that's going to figure into my evaluation that's going to kind of balance things out a little bit with our obvious contempt for the show uh, is that this is a really groundbreaking show. And it's kind of hard to think of it that way because it's so slight in a lot of ways, but it really did kind of change TV in a way. And the zeitgeist of the show is kind of teenage, teenager slash high school movies and TV shows. Now, there were a lot of high school movies, right? Yeah. Obviously, we talked about probably the best one of all time, and I think one that had a major influence on this show, which was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You know, obviously, uh, we like that one more, but that definitely had an influence here. And, of course, the John Hughes movies were huge. Right. Right, at the time, and they dealt with kind of the similar issues and kind of the relationships of teenagers you know, we're talking about movies like The Breakfast Club. And although this show doesn't really deal with, there aren't, the, the nerdy characters kind of get pushed to the side and it's more about the soap opera of the main characters. Um, but you do have some kind of nerdy characters and side characters in the show. And then obviously one I need to mention is Heathers because I do think the character played by Christian Slater and Heathers is totally influential on Dylan, yeah. the character of Dylan. And then of course, Jenna Doherty was in the film. Yep. So that was another influence, right? Heather's movie, we might revisit. It was It's one I really wonder about whether it holds up because I really liked it at the time, but I'm not sure how well it's kind of weird satire holds up. Now, it's a definitely weird kind of satirical film. Now, as far as TV goes, this is where the show was really groundbreaking because there was really nothing quite like it. There is something like it, but it was a minor show, which is Degrassi Jr. High and Degrassi High. This is a Canadian TV show. I think it's most famous now because Drake was on it, mm. uh, so the so the hip-hop uh, artist Drake was on it, and so that's kind of how most people might have heard of it, but it was a Canadian show that was very much the model for 90210, but in, in groundbreaking in that sense because it's essentially a teen soap opera, which is what this is. So it's like combining something like Dallas and Dynasty with a teen movie like John Hughes, and I think it kind of came at a time where People were ready for that kind of thing, and it influenced a bunch of stuff after, which I'll talk about in my evaluation. But as far as predecessors on high school TV, one that really came to mind was The White Shadow, yeah. uh, because it's a high school drama, right? I mean, obviously, you had uh, James at 15 was another one, which was kind of a comedy-slash-drama, and then you had Welcome Back, Cotter, and Wonder Years, and Square Pegs. But those are more, I guess Wonder Years is kind of a drama, uh, square pegs was a very short-lived show that i really liked as a kid Me too with um, uh,
1: with what's her name sarah jessica parker and sarah jessica parker's uh, yeah. first
0: thing yeah, yeah. I, I think i think we probably will have to get to that one because i really do think that was a a really ahead of its time show that was kind of really smart about it was kind of like fast times it was kind yeah, of smart it was a about, copy
1: of fast times but
0: th- it was yeah. a little bit different yeah i mean it was more of a comedy Yeah. I think it was more of a comedy in the sense that Fast Times is really the comedy is only one character. And this show it was well, I don't know, you had like Johnny Slash. Square
1: pigs, square. Yeah. Square.
0: Pigs. Remember the But it wasn't successful. No. Like didn't last. So And the other zeitgeist is kind of the 1990s itself, because this show spans the entire 1990s. You know, we often think of the 1990s as kind of the years where grunge and alternative music came to the fore. And this show does flirt with that, which we'll talk about, um, and also rap. And of course, the show flirts with that, as we know, because we heard it at the beginning. Um, But it also is the 90s was also a decade where TV just got super trashy. I mean, I just think of like Melrose Place and these shows. I mean, obviously the 80s had Dynasty in Dallas and these trashy shows. I think the trashiness level was increased. And then you had like, you know, John Wayne Bobbitt, you know, you had OJ Simpson, <laughs> the, just the 90s as a, you had Monica Lewinsky and Clinton. The '90s yeah. was just a trash decade, and I think that nine hundred two one zero fits right in because as the show went on, terrible it just, music uh, just as a decade for the most part, too. Yeah, you know, I have a mixed feelings about the '90s, but mostly I think if I had to stack up my favorite decades before the year two thousand, because you know, let's face it, I'm old, and after the year two thousand, I really don't care that much. Uh The '90s might be the worst decade of the twentieth century for yeah, me. might be. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know because it's like it. it yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like some bands in the nineties, and I think there's some classic albums, but it's less than the eighties and seventies and sixties and maybe even fifties for me. Obviously, before the fifties, it's all a whole different thing. But yeah. you got Duke Ellington and shit. It's a lot better than Glenn Miller. Yeah. It's a lot better than Collective Soul, you know. Yeah.
1: That's but true. there's some
0: good nineties stuff that I like, and some of some of it was even referred to on the show. So we'll get to that. So as far as the history of the show, really. The history of the show starts with the Fox network because the Fox network at the time was a new up and coming network that was different than the other networks in that it was syndicated to different channels across the country in a way that the others weren't. Um, And it also was very sparse at the beginning. They didn't really have a full roster of TV shows. They just had a few. And at most of the shows that were hits at the time for Fox were comedies. Right. So they had.
1: I was just going to say about the network thing. It, it, one of the shows, that I think you're talking about Married with Children, used to make fun of that on the show. Oh, and say yeah. stuff like, hey, assume Fox network viewing positions, and they would get their little rabbit ears and stick it out the window and get into all these contorted positions because they were making fun of the fact that it wasn't really a network and you had to do extraordinary things to see it. So anyway. Right.
0: So Married with Children was probably the first hit on the show. And then, of course, the one that's lasted the longest is The Simpsons. Yeah, um, and then there was also In Living Color, which was kind of a Saturday Night Live type show. It was mainly famous for uh, introducing us to uh, you know, Dumb and what Dumber. Those? Yeah, basically J- Jim, Jim Carrey, Carrey yeah. right, and those brothers. What are their Wayne's names? Wayne's brothers. Yeah, Yeah, the Wayans brothers. Right. So that's kind of, and maybe a few other people. Uh, I think Jennifer Lopez was a dancer on there, but mm. but it would those were the shows they had. So they didn't really have like a drama. A major drama, and there was no Fox News at the time, which is really important uh, because we know that Fox News beca- would eventually become the highest-rated cable news uh, and would yeah, kind of I become synonymous it. with the term. Right, would become synonymous with the network. Right, when you say Fox, you think about the news first uh, before you think about the network, really. And but this it didn't exist at this time, and this is actually really important to the history of the and popularity of this show. So. The, the network, uh, Barry Diller, the, the who headed the network at the time, decided to uh, kind of contact Aaron Spelling, who had had such a great track record for hit television, right? He'd had, like, The Love Boat. We talked about him on Fantasy Island, so I'm not going to really go into his history because we already did that. Go check out the Fantasy Island episode if you want more detail on him. Uh, you know, and obviously, even in the 80s, you know, he had Charlie's Angels, and he obviously, in the 80s, his big hit was Dynasty, but he hadn't had a hit in a few years, So they decided to hire him. And they also hired this young writer named Darren Starr, whose only credit is a really bad movie called If Looks Could Kill, that starred, uh, you know, Heartthrob Richard Grieco. um, That was kind of a spy, you know, action film. Oh, good grief. Yeah, it's funny, but you know, obviously it was correct because Darren Starr would not only go on to produce this show, one of the most successful of all time, but also sex in the city, which is another show that was massive. Um, so the show was originally going to be called class of Beverly Hills, but, be- uh, Barry Dillard renamed it Beverly Hills, 90210. And the show started looking it's Diller
1: for... too. It's not Dillard.
0: Oh yeah. I, I had a typo Barry right. Diller. Yeah. yeah. So he, um, he renamed the show and then they decided, you know, they started looking for talent. And, uh, one of the first people they hired was Jenny Garth, who was an unknown. You know, mm-hmm. she had just traveled from Illinois, I believe was where she was from and audition and she got the part right away. They also hired Shannon Doherty at this time. And Shannon Doherty, it was already a pretty established child actor, uh, In her past, uh, she had played the character of Jenny Wilder on Little House on the Prairie. And she was also in a show called Our House. And she had a a supporting role in Heathers, as we mentioned. Jason Priestley uh, had a few small roles in commercials before he was uh, hired to be on a show called Sister Kate. And Sister Kate was actually played by Stephanie Beecham, who would later play Iris McKay, Dylan's mother, Mm -hmm. who was a kind of side character. Uh, Gabrielle Carteris obviously had a longer, maybe not as successful <laughs> career, but she was 30 when she actually auditioned for the 35. role. Thirty-five. Uh, 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 no, she was 30. Not uh, 35. Sorry. Yeah, maybe look 35. She was 30. Um, so she uh, had been on the soap opera Another World and in after school specials. And um, she lied about her age to get the part. Okay, uh, okay.
1: So hey, hang on here. Hang on. She lied about her age to get the part of a 16-year-old, but, you know, I got to say that the casting people didn't look at this woman. I mean, again, a grown-ass fucking 35-year-old woman and 30, I guess, 33, maybe, a woman and say, huh, she doesn't look 16. I I mean, seriously, she doesn't look anything close to 16. Not anything close to it. In fact, she's so ridiculously older than the rest of the, the cast stalker channing laughs at her and says she shouldn't be playing a teenager that's how
0: old she is i
1: just gotta say anyway go well
0: ahead. what's funny is she actually also auditioned to play brenda because she's a twin in real life so she brought her fraternal she has a brother she's a twin brother so she was like oh i'll play the twin but it's like wait you're supposed to be twins with jason Priestley, who's obviously like 21 years old yeah <laughs> you know it's pretty funny uh, another another actor who was way too old and looks old uh, is tw- was twenty six year old Ian Ziering. This was his first role. Another no talent, yes. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I the thing about him is he really both him and Andrea do look really old. I mean, he he looks like uh, he's almost like a blonde Steve Gutenberg here playing a high school student. <laughs> um, yeah. And Tori spelling, uh <laughs> right. She auditioned under another name, which is kind of ridiculous given that her father was doing the auditions. I think this is something they, they tell each Spelly other. Spellet
1: Toring. That's how it that was yeah. her
0: name. Yeah, it was I forget. It was Tori something, <laughs> but it, obviously, how many people are named Tori?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but at any rate, so she had worked on her dad shows in the past. She got out of a helicopter at the audition, you know, it right. So spelling on it. It's like, what's your name? Uh Tory right. Jones. Right. Yeah, so so you have that you're gonna play a clip from Married with Children here for some reason? Yes.
1: You can make daddy some bleen. I'll buy you an acting career.
0: You'll be the next Tory spelling. <laughs> okay.
1: But but prettier, right? <laughs> Tell
0: Two Faces! <laughs>
1: pretty mean wow actually. that is pretty hardcore yeah but kind of kind of kind of true about that acting career
0: anyway go ahead uh brian austin green also was cast and he had his previous experience had been a role on knots landing so good experience for the show um now carol potter as uh cindy walsh was cast right away but they had another actor uh play james walsh in the pilot and so they also had played sasquatch by the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right james Eck- Eckhouse, House, uh, uh who is uh her suit i don't insane, part, say part, the part wookie i think yeah. uh he he basically they edited him in and he got the role he's kind of a bruce uh-huh. willisy looking guy who happens to not have much hair on his head but i think the rest the hair got transplanted to his body because he's a hairy dude um luke perry was cast later so they realized that you know, they had all the characters they needed, except they needed a kind of bad boy for Brenda to fall in love with. And so they um auditioned Luke Perry after the pilot. He appears in the second episode, The Green Room. And there are a couple of other episodes that were filmed out of order where he doesn't appear in the first season. Um, They realized they needed you know, another character. His It's funny, his first role was actually in Twisted Sister's video, Be Cruel to Your School. Uh, (laughs) Not one of their bigger hits. Um, And then he also had uh, small parts in the soap operas, Loving in Another World. Mm -hmm. So the show uh, debuted in 1990. The first season, the ratings were extremely low. No one watched the show. But it kind of took off during the summer season. So they did this thing where the show, I mean, some of the seasons have like 30 episodes because they what they would do is do a regular season, then they would just start the next season in the summer rather than starting it in the fall like a normal series. And what happened is in the summer of 1991, or spring slash summer, the Gulf War happened. And uh, what happened was all of the networks were just playing war news 24-7. And this, obviously, this is also the rise of, what would later be fox New's rival cnn uh was was uh this was when cnn became a huge thing because of their coverage of the war so all these channels were broadcasting the war and fox just had its four shows um and one of those was 90210 and people started to take note and watch it and it became like for its demographic like young adult and teenager it became, the most popular show on television with like millions of viewers. Um, it became a huge, uh, phenomenon. So thank you, Saddam Hussein. Mm. Uh, after that in 19, you know, the show ran for a few years and they, uh, introduced a side character, uh, named Jake, who was played by Grant show, who's, uh, basically almost statutorily rapes, uh, Kelly Gart um, Kelly Taylor, uh, He has a little romance with her. He actually has his own show called Melrose Place. And originally the show, so originally with 90210, they kind of did a lot of issues episodes. And what they figured out was making it more like a soap opera with the characters kind of having these dramatic love triangles made it more popular. So with Melrose Place, they tried to make it really like a kind of real show about 20 somethings kind of struggling in L.A. Ratings weren't so great, and so what they did was they introduced uh, a character named Amanda Woodward, played by Heather Locklear, and then just made it trashier, and then it became a huge ratings phenomenon as well. And then a year or two later, they had a spinoff called Models, Inc. with Linda Gray of Dallas fame, and that didn't last. That only lasted a year. Now, the show 90210 was popular for those years, and it just kept getting more and more popular But what happened in season three is the rest of the cast started to really hate Shannon Doherty because Shannon Doherty was like partying all the time and she would show up late and she was kind of a diva. And even though they said she was really like able to learn her parts like really quickly. So she'd just come in and read the script and right away learn the part. She was really experienced because she had been, you know, a child actor and stuff, but they, you know, she was, kind of bitchy to the rest of the cast and would show up late all the time. So the rest of the cast, all of them absolutely hated her and wanted her off the show. So obviously she was the one of the biggest stars of the show other than Jason Priestley and Luke Perry. So what they did was they kind of came up with these plots where she didn't have to interact with the other actors so much. Like in season three, she goes to France. We'll be covering that in the evals a little bit. And just her and Tori Spelling are in France for this exchange student exchange program. And the reason was Tori Spelling still kind of got along with her. They would party together at the clubs or whatever. And uh, so they kind of put her in a different uh, storyline so that she didn't have to interact with the rest of the cast. And then in season four, they actually have her move to Minnesota to go to school at uh, the University of Minnesota for a couple of episodes for the same reason. But they ended up moving her back. And season four is also when we watched it and when the show hit its peak of popularity. But eventually the producers just decided that Shannon Doherty had to go. Uh, And so they booted her off at the end of season four. In season five, they hired Tiffany Amber Thiessen to play a character named Valerie Malone, who is like Brenda on steroids because she is uh, pretty much a criminal. (laughs) she's pretty much doing all these schemes and sleeping and cheating on people and uh you know lying to everybody and she becomes this rival with kelly to the max i mean it's really just like dynasty in dallas at this point um now she was dating brian austin green at the time and it actually affected their relationship because brian austin green and her were dating but he said it was kind of weird just to have to work with her as well so that kind of put a strain on their relationship eventually they would break up and he would move on to megan fox for a while before she uh left for another terrible rapper machine gun kelly um but anyway brian austin green during this time also tried to boost his rap career and he actually made this album called one stop One day carnival or one stop carnival, one stop carnival, uh, you know, that's another thing we won't link to that. I always say we'll link to stuff and we don't, so we won't link to that. You can find it yourself, but it's interesting because it's not what you would expect based on hearing the vanilla ice kind of at the beginning of the show. It's produced by members of this uh, uh, grab group that was really good called the far side. And uh, they, it's definitely college rap. You know, I'd say it's more college kind of like Tribe Called Quest or um, De La Soul, that kind of rap. Uh, it's not as bad as you might think, but it's so such a ripoff and such a desperate play, you know, kind of uh, it, it's such a, a plea for credibility. It did not do anything, by the way. He was not successful. So season six through ten, um, Dylan leaves. In season six, you know, obviously Andrea and Jesse leave in season five. As I mentioned, they introduce a bunch of new characters, as I mentioned, um, you know, with uh, with uh, Jamie Walters, etc. Uh Dylan returned at season nine and ten when Brandon left. The show was canceled after season ten. It's kind of amazing that it lasted as long as it did, because the last seasons are so far removed from what the show started out as. And. Shortly after that, though, Jason Priestley, one of his hobbies is racing cars. And he was actually really good at it and except that he did get in a really bad accident, almost killed him. And then, you know, the rest of the cast following that really didn't do much of note. You know, uh, a few of them, uh, mainly uh, Shannon Doherty had reality shows. Um, I think Tori Spelling was on a few reality shows, maybe Jenny Garth. And then, uh, obviously, Iron, Z- Iron Zierling uh, Iron had an acting career where he was on these Sharknado films, uh, playing a character called Finn Shepard. And he also—it's uh, funny because there, then there was a spinoff in 2008, 90210. It wasn't a spinoff; it was—it was a new, it was a reboot, but it linked to the original show. So there was a character, Aaron Silver, who is the. Daughter of Jackie Taylor, which is Kelly Taylor's mother and Mel Silver, which is David Silver's father. When they get married, they have a daughter Um, and she is like now in the show as an as a teenager and um, Jenny Garth and Shannon Doherty appear in the show as well. And this was on the CW network and it was, it lasted for five years. They also tried to do Melrose Place, but that only lasted for one year. And they had asked other actors to appear on the show, including Ian Ziering, but they ended up making fun of his kind of in the press. They made fun of his, uh, you know, Sharknado movies and stuff. And I don't know, man, I think you know who's to say how uh, i mean i i think Ian Ziern probably did put in a good performance in national lampoons 301 as testicles so i'm not sure why they would they would uh, make fun of him so much um, yeah yeah <laughs> that's yeah. the kind of shit he was in right yeah. so testicles like it so that but that reboot lasted 5 years so it lasted a while <laughs> um of course
1: yeah. anyway in the
0: ahead. 2010s you know obviously there there was a uh, You know, uh, Shannon Doherty had breast cancer and uh, she I think she's still in the she's like stage four now. So it's not good. Um, You know, hopefully she does well and pulls through. Um, And then, of course, uh, you know, Dylan died. Uh, uh, Luke Perry died of a stroke in uh, 2019 and he died just as there was another reboot happening, which was called BH 90210. And this is like the weirdest idea for a show Ever Is so the this porno show
1: version BJ nine oh two.
0: I don't know. I actually don't know what the porno or Mad Magazine titles are. I'll have to uh. look those up. But anyway, this what this show was. It was created by Tori Spelling and Jenny Garth, and what it was was a, a fake reality show where the actors play kind of heightened versions of themselves as they try to get a reboot off the ground. So they're playing themselves but also their characters. Mm. And it had almost all the original cast in there. You know, uh basically Gabrielle Carteris came back, uh Jason Priestley retirement. came back, right? Well, she wasn't retired actually. She's the president of the Screen Actors Guild, which is kind of interesting. So that's definitely something the character of Andrea would do. So mm. that's kind of funny. But anyway, uh, you know, that's that's kind of where we sit now. Now I will say in researching this show, there are ton of podcasts um we also listen to a pretty good book uh on beverly hills 90210 or reddit uh, that was uh, run by um uh some of the podcasters and maybe i'll i'll put to them in the show notes or something but there's some really uh interesting podcasts on the show and that will kind of play into the evaluations because there there's even like podcasts of 90210 in german and shit I mean, it's like people really still follow the show. Oh, it was worldwide hit, but it wasn't just a U.S. hit. So, Yeah, kind of like Baywatch in a way, almost, I would think.
1: It it was on in France when I lived there in the the mid-90s. So anyway.
0: Oh, they really must have liked the subplot with uh, Brenda in France, as we'll talk about. Yeah. They must have loved that. Anyway, so that's the history. Let's go into the evaluations.
1: Right.
0: Jeff, so I, I, it pains me to do this,
1: but I must. We're we're gonna go through some of the plots, kind of similar to what we did in the, fan, the Fantasy Island episode. I'll go through them fast. I'll pause on a few, but I just want to
0: highlight. Just, well, I'll th- probably have to chip in on some of these because you know yeah, I did go ahead. do my work and watch. So as you as you bring them up, if I have something to say, I will. Please do, but you know, I to the listeners, I, I feel compelled to go through so,
1: some of these are. Some highlights or maybe low lights on some of the show uh plots, and they do get crazier um as as we go, so you know you have stuff like you know Brenda goes uh meets some bad girl and goes shoplifting gets caught that kind of stuff
0: that's um, like an issue episode right issue, so an issue lots of issues, on, yeah. yeah, especially in the first season that's yep. that's definitely more heavily weighted toward the the various issues,
1: yep there's uh you know, Dylan's introduced and, you know, girls in high school love Dylan because he has a lot of money and he's handsome, that kind of stuff. Uh, Brenda develops a crush on her algebra teacher and is disappointed to find out that he has a wife and children that she's agreed to babysit. Imagine that, a, a grown adult having a wife and children. Um, love triangle stuff starts right away with uh, Brenda and Kelly vying for Dylan's attention. Um, he... uh says offhandedly that he prefers blonde. So Brenda insecure dyes her hair, but the result is horrifying. Uh, As you might imagine, Lucy. All right. Uh, Following their disappointing 17th wedding anniversary, Cindy Walsh feels like the intimacy is lost with Eckhouse and between engages in an emotional affair with an old college boyfriend who's moved to town. There
0: you go. That's the kind of plots we're dealing with folks. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, I think the first season they didn't really know what they wanted to do. I mean, they kind of focused on issues, but they also kind of focused, there's a lot of focus on the parents. And, um, you know, Cindy and Jim Walsh are pretty bland characters. And I think they realized really, I mean, there there's ongoing plots with what, you know, Jim Walsh and his secretary and shit like that. Um, but they kind of realized, I think later that the parents are there more as a, as a kind of, uh, Way to put add drama to the Dylan and Brenda love story, and so yeah. they don't really focus on them as much. But yeah, it's it's this is not a super great episode for sure. Yeah, there's ones
1: where Steve, you know, very special episodes. Steve hooks up with some hot chick named Stacy Sloaner wants to, and they find out uh, at an AIDS seminar, of course, that uh, you know Stacy makes a very uh, special speech about her. Experience with we should age. we should
0: stop on this one because this is actually a really interesting episode. This is the first episode where Dylan uh, it's called Isn't It Romantic uh, season one and it's where Dylan and Brenda first become romantically involved. Romantically involved, and it kind of sets that story. Uh, with him kind of standing her up because of his father and there's some really funny drama with the two of them with him all fucking freaking out and his anger management freaks his anger management issues freak her out but there's a parallel story where everyone's excited about this speaker who's going to come talk about sex and you know even scott scanlon like he they, they all have to get their parents permission right and and basically this speaker is going to, cause this is one of the ones I watch, So that's why I want to go into a little more. So the speaker is going to actually come to the class and talk about sex. And everyone's like, Oh, they're going to talk about sex. And Steve pretends to, so the teacher, uh, who is supposed to pick her up from the airport, the speaker can't go. So Steve takes his vet, right. Um, to go pick her up and he pretends to be the teacher and it's very it's actually he's very convincing. why? Because he's fucking like teacher age. yeah, so of course he he looks like an adult male kind of hitting on this woman. He's kind of hitting on her. And then later she comes to the school and she starts talking, and it turns out she has AIDS mm-hmm. and that she's talking about like why you need to have safe sex. So this is kind of set against this um relationship between Dylan and Brenda, which we know. They're going to be sexually active. Now, this is something I forgot to say in the history that I meant to say is when the show first became popular, there is an episode where Brenda, it's called Spring Dance, uh, season one, Brenda loses her virginity to Dylan. And unlike the usual kind of way that TV would deal with this, where there are always consequences to premarital sex, right, or teenage sex, there's no consequences. She's just like stoked to lose her virginity to Dylan. And so the sponsors freaked out because they were getting letters from all these kind of concerned parents about Mm -hmm. this plot line. So they walk it back. They kind of walk it back and have them break up over it. And I'm going to have a clip to play because it deals with some of the way the music was used in the show, which we haven't really talked about. We'll talk about. But anyway, so this episode kind of is a preamble to that. And so what ends up happening is Steve later finds, you know, when he finds out she has AIDS, she actually says the guy I got AIDS from is dead, you know? So it's like a total issue, dark episode, but Steve still says, oh yeah, my offer for dinner still stands, which is kind of funny because later the character is so homophobic and transphobic as we'll find out that it really doesn't go with anything, but this episode is kind of a better one because it kind of deals with, it's thematically the writing is unified at least and it kind of deals with it up front. So I thought this was an interesting one, but yeah, this is definitely the first season dealing with those issues like up front, which they later would kind of abandon as the show went on. Anyway, sorry, continue. After school special. Uh, Yeah, very special episode.
1: Um, anyway, uh, there's, uh, slumber party episodes where all the girls get together and they invite some bitchy girl to come over who causes problems with all of them. And of course, uh, you know, David and Scott try to sneak into the slumber party in order to take, you know, lewd photos of the girls.
0: I'll talk about that one later Okay, as well. Yeah. I'll, I'll wait to talk about it, but I'll talk I I actually think that's an interesting episode too.
1: All right, uh, Brandon's on a TV show and starts flirting. Uh, you know, gets uh, a uh, accidentally cast in a TV show, flirts with the star, and then realizes you know show business is so glamorous. Those sorts of plots. Um, here's one that I thought was interesting: um, the Beverly West Beverly Juniors are panicked by the upcoming SATs. Lots of SAT theme one, but it gets puts in per- everything gets put into perspective when Brenda, played by Shannon Doherty finds a lump in her breast and faces a test no one can That's prepare That's actually
0: for. really creepy. It not it? That's kind of creepy, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, there you go. Um, as the seasons progress, you get, uh, you know, stuff like uh, episodes where uh, Donna and David are paired up in a drama class, have to perform a romantic scene.
0: Yeah, what this was, was in season, between season one and season two, they had the summer season. This is where the show started to become popular, and they had to have a reason for them to go to class. So they all take this summer drama class. Yeah. This acting class. I just want to say, uh,
1: Kelly falls for a handsome volleyball player who likes her, but for some reason won't have sex with her. Hmm, I wonder what that reason is.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) He comes back. That character is named Kyle, and he's actually... A gay character. Yeah. So he comes back in in several episodes. He, he won't
1: have sex with her because he he's he's gay, and I, of course not because she's a bitch. Anyway, uh, you know, lots of very special episodes. Andrea uh, persuades Brandon to hang out with some young boy. It's a child abuse whole thing. Uh, David's dad and Kelly's mom meet and start dating when Jackie, Kelly's mom, breaks a tooth, and uh, Mel Silver. David's father is a dentist, fixes a the tooth. They become romantically involved. And, you know, a 63-year-old Kelly's mom gets knocked up. Uh, not literally 63, but she looks it. And it's weird. It's just a completely bizarre plot, in my opinion. Dylan's drinking problems, and he's all drunk and messed up, but he manages to save Brandon's life when he's dangling off a cliff. How? I mean, is that an Aaron Spelling kind of arc, you know? Oh, like oh yeah. His, uh,
0: yeah, um, but that's that's the bonding because they're just best buds. You know, they're, they're,
1: the they're buds, yeah. yeah. Um, the, there's a Walsh cousin who is in a wheelchair and comes to visit another very special episode. Um, he, you know, Kelly's kind of into him for the moment, but Brenda is like, uh, Kelly's a bitch, she'll abandon him and break his heart kind of thing. Brandon goes undercover for the Blaze newspaper trying to ex- uh, expose steroid use within the uh, athletics team. Sarah abused by uh, Steve Sa- uh, Sanders and others on the team of course um very very special episode there there's an episode um when where an R&B band comes to town that that uh, Slip is going to talk about I won't go into it too much um but I just wanted to say that one of the B plots is that uh you know Donna Martin's mother who is this very kind of uh kind of right-wing virtuous sort of a character who's the You know, the moral person behind, you know, you know, uh, forcing Donna, you know, to address all her conservative Catholic upbringing and be virginal and all that kind of stuff. Donna finds uh, more than the band when she goes out to a hotel looking for the band and finds her mother in a compromising position. Uh, There you go. Uh, Of course, the guys uh, try to hire a stripper for the evening and, and Andrea messes up their plans, bitch uh season three, which you'll talk about where uh Brenda you talked a little bit about Brenda and Donna going to Paris um, and meets a uh, Superman uh, Dean Kane there uh of course and she uh, I'll let you talk about this one uh, yeah yeah because we one. have
0: to play you have to hear this yeah, yeah yeah you have to hear this you can't just yeah you have to hear how amazing this is
1: there's the plots you uh talked about where uh, Steve, Gets the legacy key to the school to break in to get access to the computers to change his grade. That dolt couldn't, you know, probably boot up a computer let him figure out how to do it, in my right. opinion. Uh, lots of episodes where Dylan grapples with personal demons, too many to count. Um, Brandon becomes a, a gambling addict and owes a lot of money to a bookie. David-
0: yeah, this is like the dumbest because they they don't want to have, I mean, I'll be talking about Jason Priestley's character a little bit more, Uh, but they don't really want to have Brandon be bad. Like he's kind of got to be the moral center of the show. But they, so they give him a habit that I don't think they think is that bad. (laughs) <laughs> uh, a gambling habit which is completely not convincing right that's like something it should be steve who would have that you know or or dylan it's like it just doesn't really work and it's it's kind of clunky but it, the funny the funniest thing dude is the is the the bookie or the the, the heavy uh who who he bets with who's threatening him is played by fucking billy vera do you remember billy and the beaters yeah this was this was they did that song on family ties that became a hit yeah uh, just this moment or whatever yeah um and it was like the love song of uh michael j fox and his girlfriend or in real life actually they were together but um maybe even still i don't know but at any rate it's like billy vera and he's just like this schlub he's like it's almost like uh I don't know. Just the most normal looking dude. It's funny. He doesn't look like a heavy at all. It's a really funny thing. Anyway.
1: Not very intimidating. Uh, This is the episode also where, you know, David uh, records the uh, You're So Precious to Me song that we played at the beginning of the show and all its glory. You have like Senior Ditch Day sort of uh, plots um, where, you know, they go to Magic Mountain, which is an amusement park outside of Los Angeles and, you know, Kelly's wallet gets stolen, and Donna's mugged, lots of very traumatic things like that. There's uh, another episode where uh, they are trying to, and I'm not making this up, they're trying to um, search for Burt Reynolds to appease a tour group. Uh, who is desperate to find, you know, stars, you know, maps to stars and movie stars and stuff like that. And they they go to find Burt Reynolds. Uh, No one wants to find Burt Reynolds. Turd Ferguson. All right. uh, Donna must attend a disciplinary hearing regarding her activity at prom night, where she, uh, on an empty stomach, gets drunk on champagne served by uh, Mel Silver, Nothing speaks to being a, uh, you know, responsible parent and serving alcohol to a bunch of teens before they go to the prom. And uh, Donna gets drunk, gets in trouble. And then because of a new policy in the school board, uh, no one's going to you can't graduate if you get busted drinking at the prom. And this is the famous Donna Martin graduates episode, which is I watched this one. And it's completely painful and terrible to watch. Oh Everything yeah, where, where it's like
0: it they turn it into a movement. This drunk entitled uh chick. Yeah, you know, basically breaks the school rules, which are right. completely reasonable. And then it becomes this whole protest episode where she must graduate and she has the, you know, there's all these real uh, speeches and there's the whole thing in front of the school board it's like the scene in footloose where uh kevin bacon <laughs> yeah, totally. is reading from the bible you know yeah. where he's reading and time to dance and all that yeah, yeah. you know it's ridiculous it's yeah. absolutely ridiculous season four which you
1: talked about before takes us to college brandon's you know messing around with uh the wife of a uh, professor of his of course, and they have an on again get off again thing. There's a take back the night thing where, Steve oh, I'm going to
0: talk about that one. Yeah,
1: Steve gets uh, accused of being a rapist by a crazy woman, apparently. And yes. we'll talk about that. Yeah, um, Brenda is trying to do actressing and she is asked to be nude in a play, which she balks at, uh, apparently. Uh, there is Steve. You know, and Brandon get involved with this professed uh, husband of the woman that he's sleeping with, and black there's all sorts of blackmail, love triangle stuff. Uh, Steve continued; he's part of a frat in college, of course, and he does all sorts of frat bro horrible things. Um, David essentially cheats on Donna because she uh, won't sleep with him, and uh, there's a whole bunch of plots around that that aren't worth really going into. David becomes addicted to drugs, of course. And Dylan saves him from getting busted by the cops by telling him to flush all his drugs down the toilet before the cops you know show up. Brandon starts being a you know a little junior student council president of the university sort of thing, and goes to Washington because that's what you know college president college campus presidents at you know you, you know California universities do of course. Right. Um, the the wife of the professor that he's sleeping with that he's really into is kind of uh, polyamorous and is kind of doesn't really give too much of a crap about Brandon. But then when he starts seeing other girls gets really jealous, of course. Yeah.
0: There's this whole subplot where he's supposed to be tutoring uh, this uh, character named Deshaun, who's like the basketball star. And uh, it's kind of implied that he should basically cheat for this guy. The professor is, you know, because Deshaun is so important to the university and all this. So they're all having dinner together. The professor, Brandon Deshaun and Lucinda, the professor's wife and Deshaun totally notices her flirting. And then later uh, Brandon is bench pressing at the gym and she's kind of flirting with him there. And so he kind of blackmails him. It's just so dumb. Yeah. It's so dumb. And again, Brendan's supposed to be virtuous, kind of, but he ends up doing this terrible thing. And it's just, it's just the show just keeps getting trashier as we go along. Yep.
1: There's also all sorts of plots about acting and being in plays. And Brenda and Kelly are all competing to be in plays, you know, the same play. And Brenda gets the lead role in the play, and everyone thinks it's because she slept with a director, and everyone believes that she did, which of course she probably did. Um, The show she didn't, apparently. That kind of shit. Uh, You know, Brandon goes to Washington where, uh, you know, he sleeps with all sorts of girls and Dylan sleeps with uh, Brenda and then also Kelly and David messing around with some girl and gets caught having sex in a limo and Donna catches them. You get the idea on and on and on. Season five continues more of this. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through all the seasons. But the the president of the university uh, becomes, you know, more of a character. His daughter, Claire, obviously you were talking about, uh, is one of the gang at this point. This is a plot I wanted to talk about. I didn't watch this episode, honestly. I didn't have the stomach for it. But the president of uh, some place, you know, uh, let's call it Val Verde from, you know, episode, same thing comes to speak at the, uh, at the uh, campus, and of course he is some kind of cruel dictator who tortures his own people and of course you can't have that, so you have people protesting and and the gang uh, you know gets into the act of course and and uh, Brandon, you know as a president of the university is being cajoled in the serving um, areas of Valverde with uh, some kind of subpoena. It's not really Valverde, but it's the same difference just to substitute that and it's not worth talking about. Um, you know, uh, I just want, saw this as a plot line here. and I just had to say it. Dylan cheats on Valerie with a prostitute. There you go. Just, I just thought that was, of course, why not? Uh, Claire talks David into tagging along with her for a UFO hunt in the desert and they get it on out in the desert.
0: Nice. Yeah. So Claire is originally like this high school student who's a genius, of course, precocious. So she's able to be in college. And of course, she's the daughter of the Chancellor, as Jeff mentioned. And she's originally with Brandon. Then she moves on to David for years. And then later, she's Steve's girlfriend. Yeah, it's it's just like, that's the way the show works. And of course, Valerie originally, you know, Steve is always really into Valerie. Valerie is a character who comes onto the show. She is a family friend of the Walsh's. And as Brenda moves out, Valerie moves in, and she's originally she's from Buffalo, and she's like kind of poor, and you know amongst all these rich people, and just wants to fit in. But she's scheming. Like the first indication you get of that is that she's playing all innocent, and later you see her smoking a joint in her in her room alone. And she will pretty much fuck over every single person in the cast for like four years straight. Yeah, um, she is like the most nasty human being. Uh, who has ever been in a TV show. I mean, it's really crazy how trashy this gets with her. Um, And the plot machinations and her scheming is just insane that anyone would allow someone to be around them who did this stuff over and over again. I'll go into a little bit of that. But yeah, I think Jeff is, you know, as he mentioned some of the plots, it already starts right off the bat. So here's one that I need to
1: read verbatim from like the episode summary, okay? Claire recruits David into making a video of them having sex. But the tape accidentally ends up at Donna's house. It was labeled as a TV station recording, and Donna wants to show it to her parents. Fortunately for everyone, Dr. John Martin, Donna's father, sees the tape first and saves Donna from more embarrassment by pretending the VCR is broken to Felice, the mother, and gives the VHS tape back to... Uh, Donna with a grin and says, give my regards to David. Funny, right? At the end of the next day, by the way, Dylan gets high while smoking heroin and ends up driving his car off a the cliff. There you go. Yeah. Uh, good times in 90210 land. Uh, Kelly gets burned in some dramatic frat fire kind of thing and has a little tiny bandage on her arm and is has all sorts of uh, crises about people thinking she's ugly now because she has a burn scar. Yeah, so
0: sp- that that fire is in a new club that Steve starts. Now, everybody ends up owning this club at some point, right? Dylan has a share in it. Valerie ends up owning it at one point. Noah Hunter, the kind of fake Dylan later. David, they all end up having a share in this club. It's called the Peach Pit After Dark. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's, it's in an old carpet store that's next to the Peach Pit. Uh, and it basically is host to all the musical guests they have on the show right the yeah. baby face flaming lips you name it we'll talk a little bit more about that but basically this uh they end up having a fire there and that's that's what that's what happens right yeah. i think this is when steve has a share in it but it, and then steve is prevented from running a nightclub because of the fire yeah. uh, later so the ownership transfers. I think it's just Dylan. I get confused over who owns P-Pad. It keeps changing. So at any rate.
1: Yeah, sanctions against Steve. Um, You know, Steve uh, has to do community service for his role as a, you know, negligent nightclub owner, I guess, and works uh, at a Hollywood retirement home. And he spots a former actor who once appeared on
0: his mom's show uh, named Saul Howard, uh, played by Milton Perrault. Okay, I'm going to jump in here really quick. This is the only, so the show was nominated for Golden Globes all the time. Like, you know, uh, uh, Jason Priestley was nominated several times, right? But the only Emmy nomination was for this performance by Milton Berle, the guest performance as the old actor who has Alzheimer's.
1: You know, there's all these stories in Milton Burrow, like, on shows, just, like, whipping out his, you know, giant hog. You know, there, like, there's, like, if you talk to the Saturday Night Live cast when he was a host on there, they talk about he just, like, like, whip out his giant dick. Like, to everybody at all times. And, you know, just uh, Jim Downey, I think, was the guy. who was one of the writers who had stories about it. Like, everybody had stories about it. I, I wonder if he did that on the Senate night. Maybe. Maybe. Um, anyway. But he's like super old at this point too. Like if you watch this episode, it's a kind of disturbing to watch. Um, all right, you have like you know uh, Brandon and Dylan uh, go on a motorcycle road trip and wind up in a Native American, you know, uh, you know reservation and learn a valuable lesson. I'm not even. Gonna, it's so stupid. They're in a sweat lodge and all this kind of shit.
0: Oh God, that is so yeah. doors. Yeah. Speaking of which, in Dylan, when Dylan is in early seasons, he's an AA. And guess who his sponsor is? John Densmore of the Doors plays his sponsor. So there you go. Perfect.
1: There you go. Um, there's lots of, you know, attackers and rapist stories. You know, you mentioned Kelly being a, a rape victim. Uh Donna is often targeted as well. And somebody held her hostage and she was saved by uh by yeah, David. she's had
0: she has more than one stalker throughout yeah. the show.
1: There you go, lots of those. Uh, Dylan explores hypnotherapy in hopes of understanding, you know, the main character in a script that he was reading and very special episode. Valerie gets a tattoo and uh, while hypnotized in a another episode, Dylan recalls a past life as a gunslinger in the wild West.
0: Yeah. Which is but, complete happy days. Yep. I mean, this is how, this is a sign of a show going on too long when they have episodes like this. Th- this is
1: shark jumping. If you don't, I already believe the whole show had, had jumped a shark. You get the idea. There's others. The seasons go on. That's not even in the season six. I can't go on anymore. They just repeat, they get more ridiculous. You get the idea. Let's cleanse our palates here for a second. Um, if you wouldn't mind. All right.
0: I use the forces like a Jedi. Um, my, no my throat. All right. You feel That's better? his best song. That's his best song. Stitch it up. Yeah. That's what I, <laughs> Stitch it up. All
1: right. Now, you know, I played that, but I also have to, you know, a little of the sugar, a little of the spice, a little of the sweet, and a little bit of the sour. Oh, I need you with me by myself. All right, there you go. I can't play any more. Of that. So
0: that that song, when I first heard it on YouTube, I thought it was sped up. It sounds like it's on seventy-eight speed. Yeah. And then, of course, Steve is this, there. There. This this episode is where he's playing this festival, and everyone's watching, and like, oh, he's so good. And Steve <laughs> is like commenting, "Oh yeah, I taught him everything he he knows." And I'm just like, what? It's like, it's like, how could people? listen to this and think it's good like that uh, uh, it, just, it sounds it sounds like a parody of that kind of
1: music it's terrible i won't play anymore i promise i promise there are lots of guest stars. You mentioned Hillary Swank. Of course, Milton Berle, we talked about. Also, Matthew Perry was on the well, show. Well, Hilary
0: Swank wasn't a guest star. She was a cast member. She, she was, was in the opening credits. Okay. And, so but she, was... she, she seems like a guest star because for some reason they fired her after 10 episodes. Yeah. I don't know why. Confidence Probably you. because she was too good of an actress and just yeah. made everyone else look bad. Although I haven't really watched the episodes with her, so I, I don't know. But anyway,
1: so then we have we come to Mr. Uh, David Arquette, the brother. Yeah, so Rosanna David Arquette. Arquette and Patricia Arquette.
0: Yeah, right. So David Arquette, who's probably most famous for being in the Scream uh, franchise, he plays this character called Diesel Stone, who <laughs> is uh, basically Brandon. and dates this younger girl, Nikki, in season three, and Nikki is from San Francisco, and she used to date this guy, Diesel Stone. Uh, who is a rock star, and he comes down uh, to play in L.A., and it's actually at this other kind of festival where David uh, also plays. David Silver also plays, but his sound is all messed up, and he blames Steve. Steve's his manager for a while. Um, And he plays, uh, Diesel Stone plays with his band Waste Management, (laughs) and the place where the festival is being held is Gazaris. Oh, okay. So it, yeah. It's being a the Foxy guy. Yes. Yeah. So he plays and it turns out he's abusive uh, to her and Brandon ends up hitting him in the face and stuff. And it's really very, he's played
1: by Dana Barron who uh, played the daughter in the original vacation movie, by the way.
0: Oh, I didn't know that.
1: Yep. I mean, I knew uh, it
0: was uh data Barra, but I, she played that. Yep. Anyway,
1: she played the the daughter in the original Chevy chase vacation movie um, all right so we were we have to confess something here we originally were going to do a reenactment theater for the, for this episode
0: yeah it seems like this would call out for a reenactment theater but we just had trouble we had trouble uh, coming up with something we thought was funny enough my theory is that the show is so ludicrous that it doesn't lend itself as well to parody although you know, Fantasy Island was ludicrous, but somehow Fantasy Island has some good things about it where you can kind of fit in. Uh, you know, when Jeff came up with the idea of using former CFX characters, it kind of worked. Whereas with this show, for the, the other thing is there's just too many characters. Like, who do you include and who do you exclude? That's the problem I had. Yeah, so one of the ideas
1: that we had, we played around with a little bit, was Ken Calais from our Rumors episode, the producer there, has fallen on hard times and has to record David Silver and those songs that you heard. And, you know, I, that it didn't work out very well. It kind of was amusing in concept, not really executed well. We had another one where Jim and Cindy Walsh find Brenda Stash, get high and have a hot tub party with the other parents. And, uh, I also James-
0: thought of a hot tub party with the kids, but then the drain gets clogged because of James Eckhouse's body hair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're like, why is the drain clogged?" And they're like, pulling out like a yeah, Sasquatch. Yeah. Um, really, you know, there are other things we thought of, but at the end of the day, like, I just couldn't get into it because, as you'll hear, I hate all these characters so much. I just couldn't do it. And that leads to kind of my final evaluation here. It's like, all in all, I I think the show, honestly, is one of the worst pieces of shit ever to air on TV. Um, Aaron Spelling, whom, you know, I talked a lot about making the country dumber on the Fantasy Island episode and maybe not directly involved with this show um, as an executive producer. I still hold him responsible. This show made the country even dumber so it's continuing on in the fine spelling tradition. Besides foisting Tory on the world, um, you know that that is probably his his worst uh, crime against humanity here. Um, also, every single after school special trope was used and abused over the show run repeatedly. Stereotypes, racism, one-dimensional characters. You had you rape and drugs, lying, stealing, cheating, race. You know, I mentioned racism. Very special talents people have and are suddenly discovered. Ridiculous activism of various sorts in in contradictory and weird ways. Very special episodes. Every female character has a pregnancy scare almost. They they can't figure out how to use birth control. Um, You know, even the character of uh, Andrea, who's supposed to be the smart one, the character gets into Yale and all this stuff, gets knocked up because the actress, you know, was turning 45 and had (laughs) to have her kid. And uh, so... You know, she gets knocked up. I'm really, honestly, the only positive thing I could say about the show is it's no longer on year, air, although it did last for 10 years. I'm extremely short on this piece of shit. I know that there's some extreme and traumatic recency bias here about this by saying it's the worst show ever on TV because I just watched a bunch of it. But it really does have to be, I have to say. Um, I can't argue about the influence or the popularity at the time it was on. You know, you made all those points about it. But in general, I also think that people in general are dumb as shit and the popularity of the show speaks for itself. I definitely don't think years from now people are going to come back and rediscover this as anything great. I think people's affection for it is just based on the fact that they were young when it was on and they have kind of positive associations with, you know, kind of nostalgia and all that. But 30 years from now, people are going to be like, oh, my God, what is this piece of shit? And I am one of them. So there
0: you go. I'll turn it over to you. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, hmm. I, I think I'm not going to be as harsh on it, but I will say normally the way I do these evals is I kind of go way the good and the bad. Uh, but really, there's just not much good to me here as opposed to most of the other things we've done. I do enjoy some of the episodes. I mentioned the one about the AIDS. I thought that was effective. But it's just not that really that good. Um, I think it's interesting to evaluate it as a cultural artifact separately from its quality, because I do think it had a major impact um, and on some things I really like. Uh, And I do think it continues to reverberate. I think the podcasts are evidence of that. So I'm going to kind of approach this as the interesting versus the bad rather than the good versus the bad, because again, I'm not that. Behind the show's quality Uh, But the influence is major And I gotta talk about one thing that hit home Because I really like a show Buffy the Vampire Slayer Which ran from 1997 to 2003 Um, It's also a high school show Definitely more intelligent than this show As far as the writing goes They were trying to do something with metaphors And stuff like that And it's a show that's been written about By college professors and stuff but it does have a lot of elements that it took from the show. And I kind of was thinking, well, why would they do this? You know, uh, Beverly Hills, 90210. Well, the reason is they wanted to make a show that people would watch. You know, this show was kind of targeted for teenage girls, just like 90210. And so they wanted to make a show that that demographic would watch. So what's better to do than to copy a show that had a successful formula? So they basically the uh, I didn't mention this in the history, but um 90210 was filmed at a high school in Torrance called Torrance High School. And when I first started watching these episodes again, I'm like, holy shit, this looks really familiar to me. So I had to check and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Sure enough, that's where Sunnydale High is. Same. Right. The other thing Buffy the Vampire Slayer is guilty of is for the most part, they're not. I would say Sarah Michelle Gellar, the star of the show, was like 17 at the time Mm -hmm. the show started filming. So she was exactly the right age. But. Other actors, uh, Nicholas Brand and the character who plays Xander, was like older than Ian Ziering. He was like uh, 28. And Charisma Carpenter, who plays um, Cordelia, is 28 as well. So, I mean, they were much older than they should have been. And they look it, especially in the last season, Xander looks like a middle-aged man. Uh, The other thing they did that ripped off 90210 was they decided to have all the characters go to college together at UC Sunnydale. (laughs) Uh, No, it was, I forget where, um, California university was filmed. It was filmed at an actual college. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would say that, um, uh, UC Sunnydale. They just repurpose Torrance High uh, mm. for the same thing, and it, and it's as ridiculous. The other thing is, of course, there is some tie-ins between the two shows. The uh, in 1992, there was a Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, which is very different from what the TV show would be. But one of the major stars of that film is Luke Perry, and Hilary Swank was also in that movie. And they did share some uh, minor characters. There was a character named Tara Marks in season six of 90210. It's basically a single white female plot where she tries to be like Kelly and eventually tries to murder Kelly. It's just so ridiculous. That's played by actress Paige Moss. Who played a we- female werewolf in season four of Buffy? And then, of course, you had the major one, which is Emma Caulfield, who played the character of Anya on Buffy the Vampire Slayer for four seasons. Plays Susan Keats of season six of The Hills. Now, I do think that Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a much much better show than nine hundred two and zero. But those linkages actually seem when I when I when I took those into account, I didn't. St- Put them as strikes in favor of nine hundred two one zero. It actually made me reconsider my love for Buffy the Vampire Slayer because I'm like, wait a second, they stole these stupid ideas because those ideas are all dumb. Like having the all the characters go to the same college is such a cheat. They stole it from a show that I think is inferior, and it kind of drags down my favorite one of my favorite shows a little bit. There, yeah. It also inputs to another show I do like. I'm called My So Called Life. Uh, very soap operatic, uh, uh, dramatic 90s show, but I think with much better writing, starring Claire Danes and Jared Leto. Uh, Dawson's Creek, which I don't like. Um, and then The O.C. and Gossip uh, Girl, which I've never watched. Me neither. Um, but those, I mean, it introduced a whole, you know, series of shows. And then one of my other favorite shows of all time, Freaks and Geeks, which mm-hmm. is on for only one year.
1: Uh, that that's spawned,
0: a much, much better show. Oh, yeah. Is. And it spawned the careers of so many yeah. actors we know now. And it was such great writing. It's a much, much better show. But I think um, it was definitely, it had to be influenced by this a little bit. Yeah. Just no, because of the whole right. idea of doing a high school show. Now, the other thing, now I watched this behind 90210 promo film that was made for, to kind of promote BH 90210 when it came out in 2019. And they actually made one of the commentators, he was like a gossip columnist at the time, made a comment that MTV actually wanted to emulate 90210 when it came out. They wanted to have some kind of show like 90210, but they realized they didn't have the money to create a drama series. So what they decided to do was film a bunch of teenagers or young adults in a house And they called it the real world, and Mm. it forever changed TV. So that is another influence that 90210 had directly, if that is in fact true. I've never heard this anywhere else, and none of the Wikipedia or or 90210 wikis mention this. So I'm not sure if it's actually true, but that could be true. Um, Obviously, the show was massively popular. Now, the cast. So normally, when I talk about these shows, I have a habit of saying the cast is so great. Uh, But here, I don't think so. Um, You know, I have, I think the cast has its moments and they're definitely charismatic. There's no doubt. I think Shannon Doherty was interesting. She has a look that no one else had. You know, most of the characters are blonde on the show, but Shannon Doherty is a very unique look. And I think she definitely has a charisma. And I think she has some good kind of bitchy stuff I'll play in a little bit later that I enjoy. That's entertaining to me, but oh man, some of her acting is just insanely bad. Um, I'm going to play a couple of clips. So let me set these up. So the first one I'm going to play is her, her little turn as Lavoine. So this was in an episode season one, episode 16, where Brandon is not able to work at the peach pit. So she kind of takes his place and she decides to do this as a character. She to make it entertaining, she dresses up in this kind of flow from Alice outfit, kind of this 50s waitress with the you know, the kind of uh uh glasses and all this. And she plays this character Lavoine and she kind of does this New York accent and she also does a lip sync of It's My Party by Leslie Gore. So a lot of the music in the show, I'll be talking about the music. They use a lot of fifties music in the Peach Pit because it's kind of a Mel's Diner kind of thing and Nat, it's kind of Nat's taste because he's an older guy. So um, let's play the clip of her as Lavoy. Brenda?
1: No, Brenda couldn't make it. I'm LaVoyne, I'm taking a shift. Sure, I'm sure. You're going, liven up the joints. You know, <gasps> Chief White becomes
0: very highly recommended. Love your do LaVoyne. Yeah. So that is her accent as Lavoyne. And if you thought that was bad, we're gonna make it even worse here. So, as Jeff mentioned in season early season three, uh, Brenda and Donna go to Paris, mm. and Brenda meets a... Uh, an American named Rick, played by Dean Kane, in an episode called An American in Paris. And for some reason, she decides to pretend that she is French. And what's even crazier is he believes her because yeah. she plays a character named Brenda Dubois. And we're going to listen to a clip of her speaking in her fresh French accent when she first uh, meets Rick.
1: So, Brendan, why don't you ever want to talk about your family? I have to keep some secrets, don't I? Well, you told me all about the history of Paris. Now I want to know about the history of Mademoiselle Dubois. Huh? <laughs> oh, Frank, right. me. You're so funny. Are you the comedian in your family, or are your parents like this, too? My father is an accountant. We are so poor! We do not even have a language. Just a stupid accent. She's right. She's right. We all
0: talk like Maurice Chevalier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, uh, but permit me to introduce you myself. I am Pepe Le Pew. Your lover.
1: Sorry, I just had to do that. <laughs> the, the middle clip, of course, was from History of the World Part 1, the great Cloris Leachman,
0: uh... Yeah. yeah, all of those but, accents are better than Shannon Doherty's. <laughs> like, I could do an accent that good. I mean, it is the funniest thing is they write it into the story that he believes this. This is like beyond jumping the shark for the show. I know. Because th- there are several episodes where he's with her, and then he eventually comes back to the States and she tells him the truth. And this guy, he's got to be the dumbest guy in the world because Definitely. it is the worst accent I've ever heard in my life. Definitely. Um, okay. Yeah. So we'll get to, we'll get to more of Brenda. We have more clips of Brenda, but, but I want to get to, uh, Jason Priestley. So again, he's the all American golden boy. I think the main thing about Jason Priestley is I think most of the female cast on the show was blown away by just how good looking he is. And I think that's kind of his main feature in the show is he's just really handsome. Uh, he really is not a good actor. Uh, he has no range, um, But the character is what's interesting to me because they kind of make him, they go out of their way. They want to have him involved in controversial plots, but they want to make it not his fault. And his main role on the show is the parents are often strict with Brenda. They never want him to see her to see Dylan. They're always fighting against her kind of, you know, and worried about her. And there's a definite double standard. Like even at one point, James Walsh says, you know, it's different for Brendan and you because you're a girl. And so, but oftentimes Brandon is lecturing his parents. He's like the most mature character on the show. He, even though he gets into all this stuff in college and he gets a gambling addiction, he actually lectures them. So let's listen to a clip of Brandon teaching his parents about the world. So, uh, what are you going to do? I don't know. Do you have any suggestions? You two should really
1: look at this situation a little differently. I tried not to get involved. I didn't want to. But I got to tell you, I think most of your problems with Dylan don't really
0: have that much to do with Dylan. (laughs) That music, dude. Yeah, Uh, I mean, the... The 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 whole thing of him telling the, the dad like I don't know do you have any suggestions like Brendan uh, Brandon, uh knows more than his parents about the world essentially yeah, of course
1: and he's got to teach
0: them the powerful lesson that really their issues with Dylan have nothing to do with him you know it's it's all in there for them it's yeah. it's ridiculous okay so there are a couple of interesting episodes I wanted to talk about with around Brandon one of them is called BYOB bring your own bottle. And this is an episode where they all go to a party at Donna's house and Steve is making margaritas and Mm. Brandon doesn't drink. So he asks for a virgin margarita and Steve makes him one with booze anyway and gets him drunk. And then Brandon ends up getting a DUI. And of course, they have to make they want to do a show about DUIs and alcoholism. But of course, they have to make it so he slipped the alcohol. Right, right. And then one of my favorite episodes, I watched this one all the way through, euphoria. U number four EA, like Prince would spell it. Yeah. Uh Euphoria is the fictional version of ecstasy. Mm-hmm. It's a drug called Euphoria. And it's funny because they go to this uh rave, this illegal rave, and they see a guy with a number four on his shirt, and that's how they know he's the drug dealer. Right. And Uh, It turns out Brandon would
1: never crack that code. Right. They
0: would never crack that code. Right. Brandon is um, dating this woman named uh, this girl, a high school girl named Emily, who is a transfer student from Marin, who's kind of more worldly than the rest of the characters. And she kind of lies and says, she's never done the drug or whatever, but she has, and she wants to do it with them uh, because it'll bring them closer together or whatever. And uh, he doesn't want to. So she fucking gives it to him. anyway and this ends up in this whole breakup and then the next episode she like sets this parade float on fire and goes crazy and 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 then they forget about that and two years later she comes back and dates him again
1: yeah his real life girlfriend by the way
0: oh yeah Yeah. that's probably why she came back you know but but anyway this is an issue a drug episode and Brandon acts like really badly and is kind of loopy I don't have a clip but he's it's really not very good um about his then, bad
1: acting that book that we were reading they kept t- they're goofing on how bad of an actor he is and just saying that, you know his whole acting style is just you know acting with his eyebrows a lot right which made me laugh cuz it's pretty much true right
0: yeah i mean he's pretty limited but it's 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 a you know that's the character it's it's kind of funny now jenny garth uh is kind of a generic rich character uh and but i will say You know, and this isn't saying much, but I will say some of her acting is better than the other people. Um, The one episode Jeff mentioned called Slumber Party, that's actually a pretty interesting one. They basically have this other character, Amanda, who's never seen or heard from again after this episode, who's a senior who comes to the slumber party and is kind of jaded and wants to go out and party and is bored. So she ends up getting all of the girls at the slumber party to play this kind of truth or dare Only there's no dare. It's just truth. And she makes them kind of confess about their, you know, uh, things that bad things have happened to them. Powerful. Yeah. And she has uh, Kelly tell this story about how she was essentially date raped by this popular football player. And I will say Jenny Garth does a pretty good performance here. Um, You know, she's believable. It's kind of a good teen performance. And it's not you know, an Academy Award winner or anything, but it's definitely a cut above, you know, well, about five or six cuts above uh, Brenda's French accent acting. But, you know, it's pretty good. I will say she's probably the best actress on the show, even though, you know, the writing is very soap opera. And so the acting, I think, is very soap opera overall. Um, I don't really have much bad to say about her. There's a little more of her later because I love the brenda and kelly fights i almost think one of the the reenactment scenes we could have done is just play them and play like cats fighting each other (laughs) i know that's kind of sexist i guess but it's it's just so funny how how vicious they get especially her and valerie you can find clips on youtube i'm not going to link to them you can look them up of her and valerie fighting and it's just fucking nasty it's really funny okay luke perry uh he is the james dean of the show he's the rebel He's the guy who has John Densmore of the Doors as his sponsor. He's the guy who does goes on vision quests and quotes Lord Byron. Uh, his acting is very emotional. I mean, there's one scene at uh, at uh, you know the wedding of of David and Kelly's parents, right? Um, where he kind of has a run-in with Jim Walsh. He has many runs, at run-ins with Jim Walsh. Jim Walsh ends up becoming his trustee. He has a, a trust that he gets from his mother, a trust fund that's probably worth $5 million or something. And Jim Walsh is his trustee. So he has a fight with him where he just starts throwing things and, you know, screaming and et, et cetera. But uh, I think you the one problem with playing audio clips of Luke Perry's acting is you kind of need to see his face. Uh, to get the full brooding rebel kind of James Dean wannabe performance. And his wrinkly forehead. thats Yeah, he's got a wrinkly forehead that makes him look a lot older than he was. He actually was not that beyond the pale as far as his age goes, like, uh, you know, Gabriel Carteris and Ian Ziering. Uh, But he looked older. But anyways, let's play this clip of Dylan. Don't come over here after two months and start analyzing me. What do you know? How do do you get so wise to come over here, man? You you live at home. You live the most coddled existence of anybody
1: that I know of, and yet you'll come in here and tell me that you have some ideas to what I'm going through, man. You have no idea.
0: Don't turn this around, man. This ain't about me. No, it ain't never about you, is it, Brandon?
1: Brenda's got guts, man. She had the guts. She moved away to another continent just to get away from you. (sighs) Dylan at this point in time I'm about the only friend you got are you sure you want to do this may the bridges I burn light the way
0: (laughs) dude I want a t-shirt with with uh fucking Luke Perry's head on it that just says may the bridges I burn light the way that's sweet but I will say what's even more ironic about this is Dylan is a kid now he has some problems his parents his mom's a kooky new ager who doesn't You know, he doesn't really get along with his dad is a criminal of some sort who gets involved with the mafia and is running all kinds of Ponzi schemes and things, but he's a millionaire. And he's talking to a guy saying he's so called, who actually has to work a shitty job at a diner. Right. So the irony is, isn't lost, but you get the idea of his acting. You understand me, man. Yeah. You know, it's like so overdramatic, right? And isn't there an episode where he runs
1: off and meets some older woman and goes horseback riding on a ranch? And
0: Yeah, that's actually, um, I forget the actress's name. Uh, Alice Krieg, I believe. She plays the queen of the Borg in First Contact, there you go. actually. Yeah, so he does meet her. And she's like him. She has a trust fund and uh, she kind of has him as a boy toy. And he's just like, I don't want to be like you and comes back. And that's kind of the whole thing where Brenda and Kelly are fighting over him. But then for a while, they're kind of like, well, he just left. So fuck him because they they kind of go back and forth. I'll get into that a little bit later. Now, as far as Ian Ziering, um, he's kind of there for comic relief. He's also there to kind of be wrong about stuff. Uh, so that Brandon, Brandon can have someone else to lecture. Um, as I mentioned, he's a really horrible character in a lot of ways. He's cheats in school. He's even though that one episode uh, with the, um, you know, the the one, isn't it romantic with the sex speaker on AIDS? He's kind of like amazingly progressive with her. Um, and understanding he later becomes much more homophobic in the college episodes. And he's even transphobic. There's a transgender character played by a woman, you know, a biological cisgender, I guess they say woman, uh, in the show. And he's like sh- trying to date the, ch- uh, she's trying to date the chancellor and Steve is trying to prevent it. It's kind of like, why even have that character if you're going to treat it that way?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so anyways, um, it just strikes of exploitation, but, but just, he's not really that interesting. Um, he's a frat
1: bro to the, he's a frat bro to
0: the max. And that's kind of what he's designed to do. And I think they couldn't really see him as a love interest for anybody on the show. So that's why they brought Dylan in, which I think was probably the right choice. Uh, Gabriel Carteris, you know, she's kind of earnest and kind of mature. Uh, shall we say very mature. Um, She has a ridiculous plot line where she's constantly pining for Brandon. She even has this one really cringe episode at the end of the first season where she kind of offers to give up her virginity to him and they meet at the Peach Pit. We didn't really talk about the Peach Pit being named the Peach Pit and how crazy that is. Um, But anyway, you know, she got pregnant in real life, as Jeff mentioned. We've talked about her enough. She's a very minor character on the show uh, she's, yeah, I mean, she's there. She, the actress is fine. It's just that it's really hard to watch her play a high school student Yeah, and maybe even a college student. Now, Tori Spelling and Brian Austin Green, I don't really have much to say uh, about them. I mean, they're fine for what they are. Uh, the drama between them is really repetitive. I'll talk about the repetitive plots in a bit, because as Jeff, I mean, Jeff read a bunch of them. They're very, you know, there's a lot of issues, but there's the characters' interactions are so repetitive. I mean, David cheats on Donna a lot. They both have separate drug problems at one point. Just everybody,
1: it's just, just a character uh, underscore blank, character cheats on blank. Character has drug addiction to blank. Like just every, just every permutation you could come up with, they all have it, right? right.
0: So, I mean... None of the actors really stand out. I would say Jenny Garth might be the best, but she even has her moments where you're kind of like cringing Um, as far as tackling the issue. So I mentioned that I really liked Isn't It Romantic, the way they kind of tackled the AIDS thing. I thought it was pretty, pretty powerful in a way for this show. But most of the time they undercut any issue that they tackle. So one of the things they did that was very progressive for its time, as I mentioned, was the spring dance episode in season one, where Brenda loses her virginity and doesn't face any terrible consequences, except the show immediately backtracks and has her have a pregnancy scare. And I'm going to be, when I talk about the use of music on the show, I'm going to play the clip where she breaks up with Dylan for that. So it's like, they do have her kind of face consequences later. They write that in because the sponsors are freaking out. So they sort of backtrack. Um, I mentioned the ec- ecstasy episode where they're talking about drugs, but then the character is slipped a drug. So it's not really talking about the consequences of the drugs of a character making that moral choice. And they, the same thing with BYOB, right? But the, by far the worst episode where they deal with an issue is take back the night. This is an episode that Jeff alluded to. So what this is, is it's a date rape episode where they are, you know, obviously they're on college campuses and college campuses have this famous women's March kind of that they do called take back the night to kind of protest against date rape and rape. And the show starts out as really progressive. You know, they have these speakers talking about date rape and it's very kind of um, expository where they kind of explain what date rape is and all this. And then they have this subplot of a woman named Laura who is mentally unhinged. She has a one-night stand with Steve. Steve is going out with a character named Celeste, who's actually Carrie Grant and Diane Cannon's daughter. And it's crazy how much she looks like Diane Cannon. It's like she's like a twin. Um, but she is Steve's girlfriend, and he cheats on her with Laura in a one-night stand. Laura decides to get back at him by basically going up in this take back the night rally and speaking his name as a date rapist and shaming him in front of everybody and of course he's mortified so what ends up happening though is kelly who was date raped gets up and says she was date raped but then she does this thing where she says you know there are other times where i didn't say yes but i didn't say no And that's my responsibility. And by the way, the guy who saved me from one of the date, because there was a date rape episode where she talks about the football player. There's another Halloween episode where this guy is almost trying to rape her. You know, uh, it's kind of a date rape thing. And so she talks about how Steve Sanders saved her. And then there's a slow clap applauding Steve Sanders. (laughs) So they basically take this episode that's supposed to be about date rape and women's courage of confessing and make this douchey frat guy, the hero of the whole thing. And they totally make the whole idea of a woman accusing someone of date rape as don't believe her because she's crazy and she's lying just because she's uh, trying to get revenge on him. Like it's the worst possible episode about this subject you could have. So in other words, they try to start out doing this. And they actually do have a better episode which they also undermine where Kelly is actually rape raped and they actually put the hotline of this famous um organization called RAIN. They actually have that very prominent in the episode the real phone number, which I thought was cool. But the problem is they actually have her go get a gun and find, you know, seek revenge on him. So they kind of undermine the whole thing. And so that's constantly what they would do. So in other words, The one thing you could kind of put in this show's favor of tackling issues in a way that addresses them is they constantly undermine them and actually do the opposite of what they should, right? Okay, another interest, but it's interesting, right? So the interesting thing, one of the most interesting things about the show is the use of music. And unfortunately, what happened was the same thing that happened to WKRP where they didn't get the rights. So if you watch this on streaming, you're going to hear all this fakey music. And what was interesting is when we watched the pilot, so both of us watched the pilot. When I watched the pilot, I was like listening to the music at the party. And I was like, first of all, I had always heard a rumor that the meat puppets were the band at the party. Um, and this is true. Uh, they did hire the meat puppets. I don't know how the meat puppets got involved in Beverly Hills 90210 because I've never <laughs> found any interview with them where they talk about this, but it's pretty nuts. They not to it. Yeah. But a band underground, this is like 1990, so they're pretty underground band. They didn't even have a major label deal until a couple years later when they got swept up in the whole grunge thing. Um, But they're the band, but you don't see them in the episode. It's kind of edited out uh, because I guess they didn't get the rights to their music. But what you do hear is all this music that sounds like Blink-182. It's like this kind of happy pop punk. And I'm like, whoa, this is pretty early for this. But then later I read, oh, yeah, they didn't get the rights to the music. So they put all this music from like the late nineties and later when they put it on DVD. So that's interesting. Right. But it's kind of unfortunate. Um, there's an episode where Steve gets dumped by this woman who's trying to grift him for his money. And he has this kind of heart to heart with uh, Andrea at, uh, at the peach pit and he puts on don't cry by guns and roses. <laughs> uh, and, and it's playing in the background. He's all, yeah, it's just, A song, you know, when I'm sad, you know, I listen to. But I'm just like, it's amazing that they were able to do this at the time. But I guess it was just because it was the same issue with WKRP. It was easier to get the broadcast rights. But once it was uh, syndicated, uh, it wasn't as easy to get the rights. Now, one interesting thing is they tried to kind of elevate some of the scenes with music that was, let's say, kind of critically acclaimed at the time. And one of the most prominent and famous of these usages is when Brenda breaks up with Dylan in response to sponsor outrage uh, over her losing her virginity and not being having any remorse about this. So she decides to have a pregnancy scare or they decide to make her have a pregnancy scare. And so she gets kind of freaked out by this. And there's this whole scene where they try to elevate this with a really big deal at the time which was rem song losing my religion this was a huge song it had this critically acclaimed video it was a big song of the time so let's listen to this clip because this is the original with the original music and i trusted you enough to have sex when i've said no before
1: line
0: yeah i think i think what that does is it doesn't elevate 90210 it lowers rem Definitely. <laughs> it, it's it's really uh it really does make it it, it it it's just seems like a desperate plea at credibility to put that on there and they did that a lot you know they had interesting music that they put in the background there's one episode even where they use black cow by steely dan Ugh. i do not know which which context this was used in but i just thought that was really interesting a lot of the music is weird too because it's like like it hurts my soul yeah they use that and there there's other there's a, a wiki a fandom wiki you can go on that has all the music listed they originally had but almost none of it is on the show um and a lot of 50s music at the peach pit like you'll hear like you know 50s and 60s like motown stuff in the background and and they had a, a interesting guest stars you know a lot of different genres i mean like bait everything from baby face to the flaming lips they actually have the flaming lips play in, i believe season 5 or 6 i don't remember they play the peach pit after dark and they play their they had one minor hit in the 90s called she don't use jelly and they're playing and at the end Steve Steve famously says you know I'm not usually into alternative rock but those guys rock the house yeah. you know it's so out of place too because they're all grungy and dirty with their kind of jeans and sh- t-shirts and everybody's all dressed up in the peach pit after dark light like, they look like they're gonna watch babyface or David Silver play but this kind of band comes on that's really not their kind of music at all. Uh, Bare Naked Ladies played an episode. Uh, the Rolling Stones even featured in an episode, and they the, the the gang goes out to see the Rolling Stones, and they actually the Stones let them film for part of the show. Mm. And there's even there's also I think even another episode where where um, James Walsh is dancing around to It's Only Rock and Roll. It might be the same episode. I don't remember, but it's pretty cringe. You can find that on YouTube. Mick Jagger, a year younger than Andrea. Okay. <laughs> so one of the most notorious episodes, and one of my favorite musical guests, uh, not because I love them, but because it's just fucking hilarious. Is Color Me Bad. Oh. So Color Me Bad, for those of you who you don't know, uh, was a kind of boy band that briefly had uh, some fame in the early '90s, um, mm-hmm. and They had, uh, you know, their famous hits were, I think it was like, I adore Mia Moore, which is the number one song and then top 10 hit, I want to sex you up. Um, They turn out to be Donna uh, Martin's favorite band. And there's this whole plot where they try to break into the hotel to see them. Eventually, only Kelly, who's pretty indifferent to them, gets in. uh, And she convinces them to come back to the Peach Pit so that Donna can meet them. So let's play this scene. So all of you go to Beverly Hills, huh? Uh, What's well, up, Beverly Hills. So, uh, where's these famous hamburgers? In? About, huh? Oh, man. Oh, my God. I can't believe they're here, and they're actually in campus. Well, actually, I was going to make them sing for their supper.
1: It's standard operating procedure around here, guys.
0: Well, rules and rules. Let's get going. let it. Let's do it. Let's do it. God. there you go "Colored me bad yeah, bad. B-A-D-D. bad
1: is the imperative word there the lead singer's little oil can hairy mustache is the
0: worst thing ever i just gotta say oh yeah so anyway um yeah totally okay so so there were you know i've talked a lot about this i'm gonna skip through this pretty quickly but there were a lot of recycled plots i mean obviously the pilot with the fish out of water i mean you know, that's almost abandoned almost immediately where, you know, they have trouble assimilating into this rich culture. That's all dropped almost immediately. Now, there is a concentric love triangle. I guess you would say concentric or two two intersecting triangles. You have Brenda and Dylan and Kelly and Brandon. So, and Dylan, Kelly, and Brandon is a triangle that kind of comes and goes over the years, you know, even work? until the end of the series, right? Obviously, Brenda isn't there very long. But one of my favorite things is when Brenda returns from France. So she cheated a little bit. You know, they didn't have sex, you know, but she cheated with Rick. Brenda Dubois
1: might have. uh,
0: Brenda Dubois, right. And then when 90210
1: on Superman.
0: Yeah, exactly. Kelly and Dylan have an affair during the summer when Brenda's away in France. So so this is a scene where Brenda realizes what's happened. And Brenda and, hold on, Brenda and Rick confront Dylan and Kelly. And this is one of my favorite Brenda acting scenes. Oh my God, Brenda,
1: I can't believe this. I can't believe you would do this to me. You said Dylan could go out with whoever he wanted. And you said you were my best friend, what a joke. Hey, give it a rest, Brenda. all right? You know, if you're trying to make me jealous, Dylan, it won't work. Hey,
0: you're the one who broke up with me, all right? Don't you ever forget it.
1: So how long has this been going on with you two? Since about 6.30. You know, Kelly, if you're trying to lose your bimbo image, I honestly don't think this will help. Look, Brenda. Listen, I gotta say something here. Obviously, there's a lot of history between all of you, but hurting each other is not gonna accomplish a thing. By the way, I'm Rick. I'm Dylan. Brenda tells me you're a hell of a tour guide, Rick can we go please wait why don't we all just sit down and try and talk this thing out i mean i know it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable but you guys have known each other for too long to just blow it off like this i am not a bimbo okay <laughs> whatever you say kelly but i was always taught that if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck go to hell
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go So yeah. classic soap opera acting there Very, so that yeah. is the conflict between uh kelly and Brenda over Dylan. But of course there's also other scenes where Brandon and Dylan get into a kind of fight over Kelly and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. There's also the whole thing of Dylan's dad. So Dylan's dad fake dies about two or three times, uh, during the show. Mm -hmm. Um, and it eventually turns out he's alive, but he's always on the run from the authorities and from the mafia. And I mentioned that Dylan marries, a. um, What's her name? Rebecca Gayhart. She was the Noxema girl uh, model. In real life, uh, he marries her, and she gets killed almost immediately because her mafioso father is trying to kill Dylan and kills her by accident, and then commits suicide. Nice. So it gets more and more dramatic, more and soap operatic. Did she die in a car bomb like Michael Corleone's Italian? No, was? she shot through. Uh, she shot by okay. by a gunman through through the car uh, of window. Course. But yeah, it's the same essential thing where he's married to her for all of five minutes and she dies. Mm. So Valerie Malone, when she joined, she's the new Brenda, Tiffany Amber Thiessen. She gets together with every actor on the show, including the new characters like Noah and other ones. And uh, she is so terrible that she basically... It's like Melrose Place in one character on the show. So she basically drags the show down. Um, they just make her such a villain. It's hard to believe anyone would, would tolerate that for so long. I don't know if that's the plan they had for Brenda, but I really do think as much as I don't love the show in the first four seasons, I think it's way better. Than the last few seasons. It's really unwatchable. The last few scenes. I couldn't even get through an episode on those. I watched most of the episodes I watched for researching this were early episodes. Um, it's just a terrible character. I almost joked that um, it's Veronica versus Betty on the Archies, which Riverdale, obviously, that uh, Luke Perry would be on is another show that's influenced by this show. Um, but yeah, it's like she's Veronica to Kelly's Betty, even though Kelly isn't great herself. Um, So at any rate, the other thing that's interesting about these years is they introduced a character named Ray Pruitt, who's kind of this poor singer, and he's a singer in real life, Jamie Walters. He actually was on another show called The Heights before this, and he sang the theme song, which is a number one song, and he also had a few top 40 hits. But this show essentially destroyed his career because they made Ray Pruitt into an abusive boyfriend. And he ends up beating up Kelly so bad, he knocks her down the stairs and she gets unconscious. And fans wrote- Kelly abs- or, or Donna? Sorry, Donna. Sorry, Donna. And, and he- the fact that I know that, I'm ashamed. Dude, thank you, Jeff. I'm glad that your fandom of the show corrected me. So I appreciate it because you paid such close attention to the show. Um, no, I just, you know, I'm just going off. And I was in McKelly land and didn't come back to Donna land. Uh, And the other thing is they kind of bleed together for me sometimes because some of the characters go through such similar things. But anyway, so this actor, Jamie Walters, he was he was canned from the show because he was so hated by the fans that Aaron Spelling fired him and it ruined his career. He couldn't he couldn't make music anymore. And he just now he's a firefighter. He retired from acting, became a firefighter. So I guess good for him, but it sucked for him that the show actually, because it got so trashy and because it gave him this terrible subplot of this unredeemable monster. Who, by the way, Valerie also sleeps with, of course, cheats with. Um, that his mu- his own career was ruined by the show. Did Valerie sleep with any women? No. See, that's a missed. There opportunity is a lesbian there. character uh, who is into Kelly. Not mm. just Tara. Tara's like more of the single white female. She isn't like sexually attracted to Kelly, but she just wants to be Kelly. And then there's another one that's actually attracted to Kelly. Um, but but yeah, they're, uh, uh, Valerie- They, they missed never, the opportunity, Valerie and Kelly getting together. Just saying. I'm sure there's fan fiction on that, but-
1: There might be no, they never did that. fan fiction on that too. Uh, it's a different.
0: <laughs> At any rate, so, they, so I just want to mention Vincent D. Young- I think he might be the worst actor to be on the show. He played Noah Hunter. He basically is a Dylan clone. Once Dylan left the show, they needed another Dylan. So they just cloned him exactly. He's kind of a brooding, handsome guy who has a lot of money, but pretends not to be rich and also has an alcohol problem. And also, you know, uh, he doesn't go out with Kelly, but he does go out with Donna and cheats on her with Valerie. And he's also uh, accused of date rape. By Valerie. It turns out that Valerie was roofied by Josh Hunter, his brother, who appears for exactly one episode. And then Noah Hunter runs into her. She's under the influence. He didn't know he had sex with her anyway. So technically he kind of did date rape. Her. But he's he the lawyer, of course, gets him off. Uh so drug speak. addiction is all over the show. Uh Dylan is dr- uh gets addicted to heroin. You know, obviously he's an alcoholic. Uh David gets addicted to meth. Uh, He is unable to keep his rigorous school, music, and DJ schedule, so he starts taking meth to uh, keep up with things. Kelly has an eating disorder at one point and Mm -hmm. also gets together with a cocaine-addicted artist and gets addicted to cocaine herself. And the artist, of course, cheats on her with Valerie. Again, the artist, Colin, cheats on her with Valerie. Uh, Donna is also addicted to pills at one point. There is multiple rapes and attempted rapes in the show. Donna is actually stalked multiple times by different stalkers and is rescued by David. So they recycled those plots. Uh, Kelly, again, uh, date rape in an earlier episode and then raped in an alley in a later episode. And of course, I mentioned Valerie scheming and cheating on everybody. So the show is extremely repetitive. I mean, they recycled the newspaper idea through high school, college, and then the Beverly Beat, which is, I guess, kind of a weekly. It's just so repetitive. Now, final evaluation. Will this show stand the test of time? First, let's answer what I think about the show. The answer is not much. Watching these episodes was pretty much a total chore to me. I uh, I enjoyed moments of the show i really thought i would enjoy this as kind of a fun thing to watch which is why i suggested it but it really wasn't fun i enjoyed fantasy island much more than this even though i didn't think fantasy island was that great of a show i want to hear more about how you tortured your wife with this well i didn't torture i put it on and she would just say this sucks you know she would just she was not even interested in joking or laughing about it whereas with fantasy island she was kind of laughing at it and with what's happening, she kind of was patient a little bit. And Three's Company, she laughed a little bit because she remembered watching those as a kid. But she never had an interest in this show. She was just like, you guys were such geeks for even watching this fucking shit. You know, like, how could you have watched this in the 90s? You know, like, yeah. she was just like Aghast. over that kind of shit. She should know yeah. us better than that. So at any rate, yeah, she should know we were, were definitely willing to watch terrible shit. It won't be the most terrible show we watch probably, but so far it might be. Uh, I think so. But yeah, it was just a chore to get through these episodes. I didn't really enjoy them that much. I found it interesting as a cultural artifact, uh, but I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go short. I I'm. I think the quality of the show is so bad. I think eventually people are going to burn out on this kind of thing, even though I will say the show did stand the test of time for a long time because it was so influential i think if the show had run for three or four seasons and broke and ended when brenda left it might be a borderline neutral uh but because of the especially the last six seasons it's just unbearable it's just awful it's so trashy and it just has no redeeming qualities um they just drop the issues entirely and when they do address them They address them exactly in the wrong they have the exact wrong take on the issue so i would say it's i just can't in good conscience, give this a long or even a neutral i have to go short it was a tough one
1: yeah okay well look i i think we're both short i'm way way short i'll go on record saying this is the worst piece of shit that i think we've reviewed or may ever review um, and I know that's saying a lot because there's a lot of terrible stuff out there, but uh, there you have it. Episode 36, Beverly Hills, 90210. We'll put this to rest here. Um, you know, I'm Jeff, that slip. And uh, hey, very important words of wisdom. May the burned bridges light your way.
0: Yeah, that's right.